The sands of time are not too kind. And when is a game truly bad? Well, hello and welcome to Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me this week is none other than Saul Bridges in the flesh, as you can see, as he's in apparently a rave in his game room. Yes. Uh, hello, everybody. Lucky episode 259. <laughs> Finally got my situation figured out. I, we actually, I, I, I had a feeling of what it was. It was my bandwidth for my USB ports because I only have one working one on my case, which is weird, but I think it was an accident. Hey, I, it's all solved. Patreon is. funds came in Patreon clutch, came so, through. Hey, thank you, guys. Thank you all. <laughs> You can uh, learn uh, more about our Patreon and where to find us later on in the show. But we always start the show off with uh, the normal scoop. I guess, speaking of scoops, we should fill y- y'all in. Uh, Chris died. Um, just <laughs> <laughs> No, Chris Chris has been having a health issue. Um, I'm not going to say much more than that, just for his privacy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how much he wants I'll- to... Go ahead. I'll say for anyone who was watching last week specifically, and occasionally maybe in audio you could pick it up, uh, it was probably pretty evident that Chris was in pain <laughs> for large chunks of the show, and yet he pushed through and did it anyway. But he is out getting his stuff handled. So, Chris, I know you listen to these things for whatever reason. Uh, so Next hey, time, let the doctor do the better. vasectomy. <laughs> Can't do it yourself, buddy. <laughs> anyway, uh, go ahead. Continue, continue your rigmarole as they so, go. Where did rigmarole come from, by the way? I really, I'm going to look into that while you. Rick Ashley. I almost wonder. <laughs> no, I don't. I have no clue. Um, but we like to start off uh, this uh, show with a couple different ways. Uh, typically, we do what we've been playing, and then we'll go into our community's take, and then of course we'll enter the news, which will then transition to the main topic. Uh, Forewarning, since it's only us two. Uh, also, it's it's my birthday tomorrow. Um, that the day this this goes live, I will be doing birthday uh, cake shenanigans later on tonight. So we're not gonna do a super long episode. We'll do a probably a normal length episode, but just in case sure. if we we seem to rush at all, there's some context there. But Brett, what have you been playing? I have you. been playing exclusively Infamous Two still, and I have. Good news for anyone who's been curious of PS Now. I continue to have essentially a flawless experience of PS Now on PC when I'm playing streaming through a hard-lined connection. Uh, my bad yeah. news come from my own idiocy uh, and lack of paying attention in the moment. Uh, <laughs> and some of the things that you take for granted from modern gaming, like it's not even a problem, but it's... For anyone who doesn't know, I've, I've kind of mentioned... Infamous 2 has been a game that I should have had the Platinum on long ago, but whenever I beat the game on hard and the trophy glitched out and didn't give it to me, I kind of just gave up and left a few trophies short. Right. Um, uh, previously, I had gone on on random times and gotten the few that I had still needed, which is like the UCG, which is user-generated content. I knocked those out, and all I have left is a hard mode playthrough and get all powers on one character. And the reason I didn't get all powers on one character is because... I was like, I guess I'm not getting the Platinum. Why waste the time originally? But now that I'm back up and playing, I was was playing on a good Karma because my other save that's active on the PS Now server uh, is a story-cleared, 
evil playthrough and the game rewards okay. you with an extra big chunk of XP for beating both karmas when you complete the story of the second karma. So my goal was to get a bunch of extra XP on my good karma and be able to spend that towards everything. The powers system is set up to where you have to do pretty much all the side missions in the game in order to buy all powers. So I was doing that and collecting all shards and all collectibles because I hadn't played the game in years. I was having fun. In a moment of being curious and wanting to make sure that I was indeed playing the correct karma, I loaded up my other save Uh while talking to Chris and Blake in our little private Discord thing that we have about some stuff that was going on. We were ironically talking about Prototype 2, similar vein game or prototype. Um, And in talking to them, I wasn't paying attention. I went to try and load my other save and I forgot that the game asked you if you want to save before you load. And I thought it was asking me if I wanted to load. And so I hit yes. And then I hit the save that I thought I was trying to load. And I saved over the save I had been working on the entire week oh, up no. until two days ago. <laughs> um, so it was Sunday. It was Sunday that this happened that I saved over my file. And I decided to restart because I'm still enjoying the game and strictly streamline only the story. And I've gotten back as of today at lunch, I've gotten back to where I was when I oversaved my file, but I've done none of the side content. So it's one of those things where I feel like it's a cursed platinum. Like for some reason, they just don't want me to have it. Like Seth and was it Skyrim or Uncharted or both technically. I think so. Well, yeah, he. It's like Uncharted Three didn't want to let him even play it because it was like he just straight up every time he'd try and play it, there'd be some huge game breaking bug um, that was uncommon. Uh, but it, it's it's unfortunate because it's long been the only game from Sucker Punch that I do not have the platinum in. So it's kind of that thing where it's like I have Sly Cooper one, two, three. I don't have Thieves in Time because it's not technically a Sucker Punch game. But I do have Infamous One. I have Infamous Second Son, and I, I was going to ask you. Dude, uh, so you have Second Son? Yeah, Second Son's Platinum is. What's your opinion on that game again? Very easy, man. It's playing Infamous Two. I kind of want to replay Second Son whenever I get a chance, just to have a slightly more nuanced opinion. Playing them very close, it's one of the absolute best gameplay experiences you will ever find. It's there's something about that game and it's sheer understanding of how to make open world traversal fun so that your moment to moment gameplay is just consistently like so fun involved. Yeah. And, and, but in like ways that just seem intuitive and fresh and get you around the world quick and the world's big enough that when you're moving through it quickly, you feel like you're making progress, but you don't feel like you're instantly reaching the other side either. Um, and some of that's apparent when I'm playing Infamous 2, which is still a, a phenomenally well-holding up game. It plays really well. Um, but some of the things that come from the four different power sets that you have in Second Son and some of the things that came with being able to streamline a bigger world with better draw distances was that they were able to speed up and really look at how can you make traversal fun. So being at the bottom of a building in Infamous 2 you can grab these things that are occasionally on buildings. It's essentially like an electrical pole that you, it's like an elevator up. Like you grab it and it just shoots you all the way up to the top of the building, which is fun, but they're, they're not on every building and they're not always around. Um, Whereas 
when you change to like the smoke power in Second Son, you can, at the bottom of a building, you can swift through a vent and then you'll pop up from smoke at the top of the building in like a half a second. And once you're on top of the building, you can switch to neon and do the neon run and jump and make long, big arcing jumps. And then you can decide that you want to do their digital powers. And then suddenly you can look at a satellite that's on the corner of a building and then pop into it and it'll shoot you out across to it, you know, toward the next one. And you kind of have like a digital after effects around you. And then lastly, you have the concrete, which kind of reminds me of the ice powers that you can do if you're doing the good karma and the infamous two, where you can like launch yourself up on a pillar of concrete Uh, on infamous two. You can launch yourself up on a pillar of ice. So it's just super fun. But the story, the characters, the motivations for everything, the understanding of what makes the morality system that so many games, like the karma system that so many PS3 games ended up trying to use, what makes it good, are completely gone there. Just terrible characters, terrible character motivations, a story that is hardly as good as one or two. I mean, it's not bad, and I enjoyed it because of how good the rest of the game is. But bad side missions, there's virtually none. <laughs> to get the platinum, you just have to clear every area. And then two, clearing every area meant doing side missions that would give you sometimes more insight on what's going on in the world. So it's just, it's weird. It's like with one game, they absolutely perfected characters, morality, and still have solid gameplay, while the other one, they completely nailed gameplay out of the park and then just flopped on everything else. So... It's worth well, a play. Yeah, it's see, just, that's what I was going to say. Infamous, is I, Infamous 2 is far and well above it in terms of quality. Back when I got my PS4, uh, Seth had that game, and I borrowed it. And mm-hmm. uh, I played it. I barely remember it. I remember it having a really cool like spray paint mechanic like where you would hold the DualShock 4 sideways. Like spray paint. Yeah, actually, the gimmicky stuff is kind of cool until it, until that's, that's all the side content. Doing oh. that in every district. But yes, I I do. Yeah, that, that's a cool mechanic. Well, let me ask you this, because this is always something that I, I'm curious about with trophies. Is it a is it a not so great mechanic when it comes to getting the platinum or in general? Like if you don't try um, to get the platinum and you don't try to clear all the areas, but you just feel like... If you're doing it sparingly and yeah. you're not at the end of the game and all that you have to do to platinum is just nail grind out these areas and clearing the area, pretty much every area has one of those spray paint areas... It's fun. I think the the novelty doesn't wear off if you're actually playing it like a game and not going after trophies. Um, which means that if you're smart and you know you're tr- kind of wanting to go for the trophy, you can try and pull those more into in between gameplay moments. That way you're not eventually at the end of the game going between one spray paint mechanic to the next. Because that's right. that can't happen when suddenly you're just grinding out. If you can kind of have it to where you do a story mission or two and then run around and find a couple of, of you know, whatever upgrade things that you need and then, oh, hey, I'm going to do this little spray paint mechanic real quick, then it's not so bad. It's it's I think it's actually, it reminds me of, um, did, did you ever play Uncharted Golden Abyss? Yeah. Okay, I thought so. Did you beat it or did you just kind of loosely play it? I don't remember, actually. I don't think I beat it. Okay, well, there's some really cool uses of the Vita's features in that that I would straight up look at and say that's not... It's not just gimmick. It's it's The novelty makes sense and it works within the game. And I kind of like that 
like setting up Delson the way he was, he could have been a better character who still had a better, a better arc. But I think looking at him and saying like, he's somebody who's young and kind of a, a, you know, you know, rebellious and wants to do the spray painting. It's a cool idea to work this mechanic in. And I think it ultimately works. It's just, as with all things, if you do it too often, too much, it's just kind of like, even the coolest things can get a little like, all right, I've, I've done it enough times, you know? Yeah. Uh, since that's the one that's most accessible, I'm pretty sure it's free. If you have PlayStation plus, isn't it? I think it's part of the PS Plus collection. Yeah, pretty sure it is. Yeah, so I might actually end up trying to play that game again. Incredibly gorgeous and incredible. I remember that. Yeah, I remember. I remember that. Like how pretty it was. So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, if you ever get back around to it, it got a PS4 Pro patch, so it runs at uh, I think 1440p, maybe 1800p, and it has HDR support. It's gorgeous. That'll be my first. I think it runs. I think you can turn the frame cap off so you can make that game run at 60 frames per second, even though they didn't PS5 patch it. Patch it. The game shipped with an unlocked frame rate, and you could go in and lock it. So oh. if you're playing on PS5, it'll probably play at 60. That makes sense. Hmm. Well, I might actually be interested in playing that game because right now I'm, I'm kind of in between games. In yeah, I think uh, if you played a little bit, at least, I'm pretty sure of, um, oh, Lord, Sunset Overdrive, correct? No. Okay, it was Blade. I watched, Blade Sunset I watched you play. That's what it was. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I remember that. Um, Sunset Overdrive's got some pretty fun traversal stuff as well, but it's interesting. Like, do you remember back when Spider-Man was being rumored before it was actually announced? And it was like, there's rumor that Sony Studio is making it, and then it ended up being Insomniac, which is not a Sony studio, but it was yeah. a Sony game. I remember at the time, because of the pedigree for Infamous, it felt like there's no way... It's not Sucker Punch. He's making Spider-Man, and I was just dead wrong. <laughs> but, oh well. guess I'm happy to be wrong. It's a good game. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong on that. So, anyway, what have you been playing, man? Uh, like I was kind of saying, I'm in between games. I've been trying to find a, a, a reason to play my Switch. Um, well, that sounds like me. Yeah, like... I often like lay in bed and like, I'm like, this would be a perfect time to play switch, but I don't have any games that I'm really like interested in playing really. Uh, Oh, I guess I should say, I I forgot. I beat Metroid dread. Like I need to give that back to you. I beat that like a month ago. Oh Um, yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, it was, it was pretty good. Um, Good. So it's interesting that you say you're looking for something to play on there. Cause unless I'm just wrong, I don't feel like I ever recall you telling me that you beat triangle strategy so what happened did it no too much dialogue in that game nah it, it's, it's more, actually it's, kind of an age-old problem do you remember when me and you were talking about pillars of eternity yeah it's uh, it, honestly dude for like it for for how bad that was it's not too far off pillars of eternity level man i remember i started pillars of eternity i think it was uh down, i downloaded it from ps now uh i'm pretty sure but either way i, I started it and I feel like I didn't play the game until I had already had it open and running for 45 minutes. Yeah, there is... I know Pillars of Eternity... Was it Deadfall? It's the pirate version of it. Or it's the pirate... The, the second one, right? Pillars 2? Yeah. Um, I was I was looking at reviews of that. <clears throat> and I remember just like this guy like scrolling through all this text. And I'm like, you know, this isn't that bad of a problem. But... 
I think I was looking at getting it for Switch. I'm like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Like, that's that's ridiculous. And Triangle Strategy, you know, I will talk about Final Fantasy War of the Lions later, coincidentally, but I love Final Fantasy War of the Lions and Advance. Those are two, in my opinion, those are the two best, two of my most favorite strategy games of all time. Um, that game did not have over-needed dialogue. There was there was times in that which that game had no dialogue in between sequences, and there were times in where both those games had very little dialogue. Sometimes they had a little bit, but like or a lengthy, um, a little bit of lengthy dialogue, but not too bad. So, um, Triangle Strategy just feels like there's a ton of dialogue, and I'm just not in the mood to play a game with all that right now. So the way um, you describe that sounds familiar to how I felt when I was playing and enjoying for a small period of time, or I mean a decently lengthy period of time when I was playing. Um, what was the name of the game they did before projects? Uh, uh, Octopath. Uh, yes. Octopath. Triangle. Oh, dude, you, you, you there's no, no comparison in terms of, in terms of dialogue. There's like so it's literally much that much dialogue. worse because I yes. thought there was a lot in that game, and I think it's because of the way they choose to introduce characters. So it's like you get a lot of exposition dump up front, and then it well, probably isn't so bad as you keep going on once you've introduced all the characters. You know what I mean? What's funny is I was telling Seth at work, I was like, playing Triangle Strategy just makes me want to play Octopath because it's so much of a better game. Like people, really? people crap, people crap all day long about Octopath's story, and. O- overall, people were hoping that it had a story akin to Final Fantasy VI. There's nothing wrong with Octopath Traveler's story at, at all. People were hoping that it would tie in all the characters a little bit differently, but <clears throat> the story is like the individual st- story of all eight characters, and then it's the little bit of exposition you have when they all have meet up. Um, and if if you go into it with that mindset, because that's what they intended it to be, that's even kind of what the strategy guide hints to, because I have the collector's edition strategy guide uh, right back there on that shelf. Um, it's it's a phenomenal game. I love that game, um, but it's I couldn't even I no, I couldn't even power myself through some of the stuff with triangle strategy, and and I love it from like the gameplay aspect of it because it is true tactics. It is great in that regard, but the dialogue in between. Is just too much. Which, to be fair, they kind of did have that whole thing about like being able to pick your own like fate and stuff like that. So I get it. But yeah. one thing that I am not a big fan of, and this may be a, a somewhat unpopular opinion, uh, but I am not a big fan of like some RPGs having to become slice of life <clears throat> RPGs to, to become slice of life RPGs. Well, now what do you mean by slice of life RPGs? I'm not Fire sure. Fire three houses. The, I, the I didn't fact, play that, so, so, they, so I guess, they, is it like a, is it mechanics that kind of push you to do something in particular that you're not liking? Uh, it, it added a persona style effect to it of like you in school, and then you can doing activities oh. and going around and hanging out with friends or whatever. Okay, okay. It was, yeah. <clears throat> and I, and I love that in Persona games. I do not want that in, in a other like a different kind of game. I'm sorry, but like that's that's Persona's niche to me. That and like Danganronpa kind of. Because Dang and Rob, yeah, well, like that. Rune Factory Four had or, that actually, or, yeah, or Rune Factory Four. But, but I see, like, I thought mm. it fit really well within that game setup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's just for me, it it is very hit or miss, and it it missed pretty badly. So, but um, yeah, in terms of like what I've actually been playing this week, I did the newest raid in Destiny, 
Saturday, Vow of a Disciple. Oh. And that was a really good rate. Yeah. It was, it's probably my least favorite rate of all time. <laughs> but it was. It's really good, but it was least favorite. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I mean, mechanically, it was, it was pretty fun. But I didn't, I was not having fun because I was underleveled. And the boss mm. had this weird, like, not RNG mechanic, but the boss has this move, like, where, um, like these ripples come out of the ground towards you. And if you're not paying attention because you're fighting enemies around the boss phase, you won't see it. And he'll he'll shoot over to you real fast and kick you. And for me, it was a one-hit kill. And it happened so many times. Yeah. Uh, so and I'll you have, have to revive give, tokens as usual? Yes. So I'll have to give yeah. my full opinion on it as I'm done. Uh, or whenever I finish it up, now that I'm at level to play it. But um, yeah, it was rough without being at level. I do not recommend it at all. What's level like, to play? Uh, it ends at five, 1550. Okay. And I was like 1524. I don't know if I will get back to Destiny anytime soon or not. I really enjoyed it, but it's just kind of one of those things where I didn't have enough people playing around me or enough people keeping me on it, so I was able to easily slip out. And the, the staying power for games like Destiny is that you get started and you enjoy what the game offers, but then you enjoy the friends and other people that you're playing with yeah, the camaraderie. And it was just kind of weird. It was like a lot of people were coming in and out at different times, and I just felt like most of the time I was on, I wasn't playing with anybody. So I just ended up beating what I liked about it, and then I was kind of like, I think I got on once or twice afterwards and still didn't really have anybody to play with. So I was like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like t- I'm pretty sure today starts the Guardian games. So like you'll be yeah, able to so do... I'm pretty sure I got the email. Yeah, so you'll be able to do that, and that'll be a new playlist. And they revamped Strikes so, a little bit so that Strikes now includes something called Battlegrounds, which I don't know if you ever did those. I didn't. But it's like, um, I really don't know how to describe them. It's like they're Strikes, but they're they're not really mechanically driven. They're like fighting. They're like King. It's I don't know. It's They're weird. It's like King of the Hill. It's like you get to an area and like from my thing, it's like you have a boss and you kill the boss and then you progress on and then you kill a boss and you progress on. So it's not really like King of the Hill. It's weird. I, I don't know how to describe them. Hmm. Okay. I, I, yeah, it's 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 kind I mean, of just that's that's probably good because the problem with strikes in Destiny 2 is that they're like mind numbingly boring because you get to where you're playing the strike playlist because it's part of getting your weeklies and it's just like you don't even have to try. Oh, yeah. And, As opposed to like Nightfalls, which I guess, did you ever get around to doing Grandmasters or you nope. still haven't, right? Absolutely yeah. not, Gr- no. Grandmasters are incredibly fun because they're challenging and they force you to be head in the game the whole time. Whereas most of the time when you're playing Destiny 2, you're just doing that weird thing of kind of talking to your friends while secondarily paying attention to the game, you know, depending yeah. on what you're doing. Like it's, it's far more akin to raids, but without the same stress level of raids where you've got to have micromanagement of the overarching mechanics. Instead, it's like, you know, the right, ra- you know, the strike and you know what you've got to do, but you've got to super pay attention to everything surrounding you, not necessarily the mechanics. Nothing changes mechanically within the raid. See, and that's what that sounds fun. Or strike. Yeah, it's fun. If you ever get, I mean, if you end up sticking around and getting max leveled where you can do them before end of season, I think you should. I think you'll have a good time. If I do get back around to playing, I would do those with you. I quite enjoyed them. Well, I, I could tell that uh, all the guys in our <laughs> Discord for our clan, they have been like, they've been trying to do one specifically with the one called the Light Blade. 
And it's like, you can tell it's driving them crazy in there. They're like posting like guide videos and it's like, it seems like it's a real big challenge. Yeah. I mean, you have to be specked out very specifically and things can one hit you or not really one hit, but things can like, depending on where you are, things can one and one and a half hit you if you kind of want to say it that way. But there are some interesting things that you have to learn to kind of cooperate around. So it's very fun, but hopefully you'll get around to it and you can kind of, uh, see what that is but in the meantime what's the next thing you think coming on switch that will actually pull you to play it um well i think it's already out it came out like a week or two ago maybe like a month ago it's uh uh 13 sentinels aegis rim oh it did or aegis rim 13 sentinels i think is what yeah that's the next game i'm getting for sure and it's funny i was complaining about triangle strategy probably too much dialogue and i i am now going to a visual novel (laughs) but um, (laughs) strictly known for Massive hits of dialogue, yes. Yes, but this is a visual novel. I, I'm going in with knowing that that's what it is. And to be fair, if I maybe if I paid attention to marketing for Triangle Strategy, I would have known more about that. Well, that is the danger to going into games blind, is that you can get surprised by something that you didn't expect but you enjoy, or you can expect something because of other games of, of your, you know, like like you talked about war of the lions and final fantasy advance and tactics ogre and games like that, that aren't necessarily so exposition heavy. Yeah. And then you come into it with an expectation. That's not really fair. I I didn't know that there was slice of life that actually makes sense as to why there's so much dialogue (laughs) because that's a very visual novel style thing where it's just you talking with someone else and being like, Hey, I'm going to learn more about you and get some information from you and potentially maybe date you depending on what's going on. You know, I might be completely wrong. If that's how Triangle Strategy is, but that's how it's setting it up with the, how much dialogue there was in like the first seven or eight hours that I played it, and yeah. it was it was just it got to a point where I'm like, if this is how this game's going to be, which it feels like it is, I'm just I'm not going to do it. We're not right now. <laughs> There'll be a time yeah. in which I'll I want that, but I don't want that right now. Um, For sure. But yeah, I also have I downloaded I forgot about this. I downloaded Yokotaro's game finally. Um, oh, and the yeah. Isle of uh, Isle of Dragons. Isle of Dragons, yeah. Um, yes. and I'll, I'll you guys tell me too. how you like it. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, 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 the demo was really fun. So I'm super excited to play that, but I don't know when I'm going to get to it. Hopefully soon. All right. Nice. So, uh, well, moving along into the community's take. Yes. The community's take last week, as we talked about was kind of this idea of if you got to choose what the first classic PlayStation game you'd like to see brought forward with the new PS Plus service or whatever is going on with the idea of the um, preservation team, as it's being called, Uh, maybe even something with some form of enhanced backwards compatibility, what game would you choose? And I said, any game from any generation, as long as it's tied to PlayStation, doesn't really matter. Um, And I was really hoping to get some interesting answers out of this, and I feel like we did. So... Without further ado, uh, Rude Days 93 over on our Discord, which you can use to answer these questions as well. We always have the link in the description below. In the Communities Take section of the server, he says, All the Ratchet and Clank games for me. I played some of the first game on PS4 and really enjoyed it, but even if there isn't really a big story connection up to a rift apart, I just don't have the motivation to finish right now, knowing I can't go through the other games. And Rude Days 93 is a patron. He has a cool blue name in the Discord. If you want to be just like him, you can head over to patreon.com slash nartech. But uh, as for Ratchet & Clank, there are a ton of Ratchet & Clank games that I think a lot of people would really enjoy playing. And... PS Now is, again, better than I thought. 
but you said you have to have a hardwired connection for it to be as good as possible. I did out of curiosity try my PlayStation Five, which is through Wi-Fi and then streaming again, and it wasn't as good. Like I could play it. And speaking of Ratchet and Clank, I tried out Ratchet and Clank Future Tools of Destruction. Um, are yeah, Tools of Destruction. I'm pretty sure. Either way, I didn't play a lot of it, but I played the opening mission where you kind of run through as uh, as Clank and. It would be great if there was an easier way to play those, and it seems like those are intended to be included, but I don't know necessarily all of them. Um, so we will see. Uh, one more off of Discord, and then I'm going to lob it over to Saul to see what's, what we have on Twitter. Uh, another patron, TT Dog 666 says, Dino Crisis, have no idea what the story in the original was. My copy was in Japanese. Parasite Eve would be another. It never got released in Europe. I did not know that. I didn't either. Yeah, that's kind of shocking, actually. Yeah, Parasite Eve is a is an all time classic, but it's also just so, it's one of those things where side side discussion. Blake in the the Discord that him and Chris and I share was talking about Devil May Cry because he's getting around to playing the Devil May Cry games, and those he's like, solid. The, he said the camera in in this game is so bad, and I said, well, which one are you playing? He said Devil May Cry one, and I gotta agree. Oh yeah. The fixed camera in Devil May Cry 1 is awful. But when you think about the fact that it was intended to be a Resident Evil game yeah. that switched midway through development, the camera angles feel like Resident Evil camera angles, which makes more sense for a slow-paced shooter, you know, kind of zombie shooter adventure game, and not nearly as much sense for a hack-and-slash game. <laughs> yeah, but like, it, it's thankfully Devil May Cry charm. 2 and 3 are significantly better. <clears throat> Yeah, um, I was telling him because he was like, "Do did the rest of the series have them?" And I said, "Yeah, they all have them besides five. Five is the only one with a f- completely free camera, but they're all God of War like fixed camera, and you occasionally get to adjust it just a little bit." Uh, but I was like, "You know, it's it's it follows the action in a way that makes sense, so it's not annoying, and then it frees up the classic thing about fixed cameras, which I will admit to loving." is that it frees up the right analog stick for the best Twitch reaction that I've ever had. I love this in games. When you get to use the right analog stick to flick where you want to dodge to. Oh, yeah. Like when you're nice. like, oh, I'm about to get hit, flick the right analog stick back, and I'll do a little backflip. You know? I love that. Since uh, it, since oh, he's playing yeah, Devil May Cry, I need to recommend <laughs> him playing Beautiful Joe next. Just because that's also a slept on series. That's really good. That is very, very older. The first entry of that was a GameCube game, right? GameCube was it on Xbox as well? No, I think it was GameCube. I, say, I thought it was. It, well, no, right. okay, it was. It was a GameCube launch exclusive that initially, that eventually came to PS2, and then you could play as Dante in the PS2 version. That's right. I do remember that. By the way, just a little check back in. Rigmarole comes from mid 18th century, which oh. is an alteration of what used to be ragman role, which originally denoted a legal document reading or recording a list of offenses. So it was kind of like, here's everything oh. that you've you've done, and it just became rigmarole as a as it kind of slid through the generations. You learned something today, hopefully, on the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and grab uh, one of the community's take answers off of Twitter, though, Saul. Yeah, sure. So my boy, Sean Santarud, he hit us with a great one. And it kind of ties back into uh, fantastic-style strategy games. But Vagrant Story, that's a great one. Vagrant Story is classic. Uh, That ties into um, Ivarus 
Or Ivalice. Ivalice. Ivalice, yeah. Or Ivalice. 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 That's my favorite. You know the big problem? Is that for a long time, that was only only ever spelled and never said. So (laughs) you're just left to come up with. It's the same problem that happened when people are like Titus and Titus. And it's like. Well, they say it in 12. But the upside is. Don't forget about 12. They do. They do. I know. 12 was the first time it was said. And to be fair, in Final Fantasy X, they, they totally say Titus's name. Oh, they do. It's Titus. Well, no, no, yeah, no, 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 it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's Titus. Inverse. Yeah. He's called Titus in Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, that's what uh, it was, which feels like a retcon that I, I refuse to, 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 to acknowledge. Well, it's kind of like Aerith being... Uh, Aerith? Yeah. <laughs> you know, all you that mean situation Aerith of being the, Aerith? Isn't, it, isn't that it? Yes. Yes, because the original translation of Seven was incorrect and named her Eris when it was supposed to be Aerith, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's, uh, that's So that's in Kingdom Hearts, they included her by her actual translation name, which should have been Aerith. Uh, Interesting. Translations. Uh, our boy, <laughs> Jose MC, he says Tomb Raider series. Make it happen, Square. That's, well, uh, <laughs> as the news will tell you, <laughs> that's not on Square anymore, but I feel you nonetheless. There are some all-time classic great Tomb Raider games. There are moments of where I remember from PS1 playing the infam- the, uh, the the trilogy, the uh, Tomb Raider trilogy that had one, two, and three all in one collection. And just going into the section, I can't remember which game it was. I think it might have been two. could have been three. Where you go into Laura's like penthouse and there's a huge pool and you can like get on the edge of it and do the little edge stand where like, you know, she puts her hands on and then puts her legs straight up in the air. And I just thought that was incredibly cool as a kid. I was like, you could do this in a game? <laughs> Amazing times. We'll see if that comes away. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, no fate over on Twitter. He says, Burnout 1 through 3, because EA insists on releasing shite Need for Speed games. I rebuke you, sir. <laughs> How is Need I for Speed? I rebuke you. That game's on sale right now. Fantastic. Like, my favorite like bucks, of... Yeah, for $10, an absolute steal. It's it's my favorite of the, of the three from this past generation. Uh, the 2015's reboot is also incredibly good. The worst one is still a solid game, and it's Need for Speed Payback, and that was the middle child where they did that weird progression system where they tried going like microtransaction-y with it and had it Yeah, where that had like the card system, spin, right? Yeah, like you had to buy cards, which gave you a random chance at winning a part. Whenever it came to upgrade your card, it cards? was really weird. Like, wasn't like a trading card game, but like in a way, in a weird way, like where all your parts were actually Not like really. cards. It was almost like a lottery where you'd go to the part, you know, you go to the part store in the game, and oh. it would refresh inventory every day, and you would just see a manufacturer and what the part should be roughly, like what it was going to go towards benefiting, if I remember correctly. Oof, no, and you click yeah. it, and it had a random chance of rolling to a higher rarity or a lower rarity. It was just. It was weird. I it 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 completely ruined the <clears> upgrade <throat> spirit that Need for Speed normally is really good about. It didn't completely oh, yeah. ruin it. You could still do it. It was just very stifled. Right. So But they fixed that and did not did not repeat offend with Heat. And Heat is a very good game. I'll like try Heat. It's it's on sale right now for like I think either ten or fourteen bucks. So on uh on PC or no, just on, on PS4. On PS? 
Nice. Yeah, I have it on PC as well because I have EA Play uh, as part of Game Pass, and I've been playing it on PC off and on. I didn't play this most recent week. I have that too. So you can play it for free on PC if you... Or Xbox, technically, because I still have my Series X. Or Xbox, yes. That that dusty dusty thing. Uh, Why don't you grab some some off of Facebook? (laughs) Well, I just realized that you... I forgot you had a Series X, so I'm not even lying Uh to you. I completely (laughs) forgot you got one. I had it for Halo, and I still have it uh, for Halo, I guess. We'll see. Hey, look, I might ask to borrow that if a game... I have to remember what game it was. I was thinking of a game the other day that I was like... I would love to play that with enhanced backwards compatibility because oh. there isn't a PC version. I got to remember what it was though. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll see. I might, I might hit that up for a borrow. I mean, you know, I, you borrowed my Metroid. Of course, that means I can borrow your five hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I can borrow it because you love me and you know I'll take care of it. But yeah, anyway, that's true. Uh, over on Facebook, we have Matthew Green, another patron. He says, Time Splitters, just because I thought it was a really good game. Time Splitters Quote, is really good. Parentheses, back in the day, laugh out loud. Time Splitters is dope. Some games, it is it is funny, though. I was really hoping, going back to Infamous 2, that I wasn't going to be like obviously struck with how bad the game is. And I'm so glad that it actually plays and holds up incredibly well. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm I'm genuinely scared to go back and play Infamous One because I love the story and I love the ideas, but that game is rough. That game is every bit of what 2009 gaming was, which is that I said it earlier in the Discord. PlayStation Three and 360 was one of the most weird transitional generations in gaming, where a lot of what we know and love about modern games was kind of set in precedent during that generation. But the first half of the generation completely whiffed it, and the second half of the generation really nailed it. <laughs> so you're just left with a bunch of games that if you try and go back and play, you're like, I see what they were going for. It's just not there. It's like it was in 2009 when there was nothing else to compare it to. But the moment they really found what clicked and two years later you get Infamous 2 and it feels like an entirely different game, it kind of makes you be like, wow, this is 2010 was like the Y2K for video gaming in a lot of ways. So take with that what you will. Uh, We got some more over here, though. One from Kayla Allen. She says, this one's pretty hard for me to choose, but I've always wished they'd bring Crisis Core to consoles. You bet. I know it's not happening deep down in my soul, but I wish it was. There's (laughs) tons of titles that are stuck in the past right now. That would be cool to get. I'm anxiously awaiting when we will see the actual lineup of games. Oh, to add one other, just purely for nostalgia, I want Ape Escape 3. Nice. Man. I'm going I'm to tell you something right now. I've never played an Ape Escape game except for the <gasps> PSP one. Oh, that's all. Uh, that's, is there more? Yeah, there's the, the PS1 had multiple, and I think the PS2 had a single one. Okay, yeah, I've never played them except the PSP one either, but the PSP one's awesome. The PSP one was solid, but it's the only thing I have any kind of, you know, like I know Spike and the character and, and what goes on, but I just didn't play them a lot uh, as a kid, or I didn't get a chance to play them as a kid. I like this one. It's short, sweet, simple. Ken Nace says MotorStorm with DualSense support. And I 100% support that. That'd be pretty Because sick. MotorStorm is all about off-road racing up until Apocalypse, the third one. And you're doing a lot of mud and stuff that I think would be really cool after playing dirt where you get to feel like the mud kind of catching your tire and slipping in your hand. You can kind of feel it going thwoop, thwoop, you know, like in your palm because of the DualSense. Yeah, uh, there's actually, and there's a PSP one as well called MotorStorm Arctic Edge. And then there is an over-the-top RC one called MotorStorm RC. 
See, I know those two. I didn't know there was three console releases. I thought there was two. Yeah, it's, it's called Apocalypse. Apocalypse is the last one. That's three. pretty sick. I didn't. It was all right. I mean, like it, it's, it's a big spectacle game, but that one you're driving in the city more, and it's kind of crazy because it's like the end of the world's happening around you. So like the buildings are like falling down, and you're having to like drive around through like the as they're falling, it'll create like little paths for you to like ride around through. It's it's fun. But I think it kind of misses out on the more interesting off-road spectacle that Motorstorm and Motorstorm Pacific Rim. Um, was it called Pacific Rim? I think that's right. Pacific but now, Rim's a movie about Kaiju's. Pacific Rift. Ah. I don't know. I, I like that's why. But yeah, yeah, that game was awesome because Motorstorm, the first one, right, was a launch PS3 game, and you could like. If you're on like a dirt bike, you like punch the people that are beside you and stuff, punch people off dirt bikes. You could ram into other cars and like see parts and bolts flying off of them. Uh, that was cool, right? It was very next gen at the time. But then Motorstorm Pacific Rift came out and it brought in all the physics that go with water. So you're, you could boost and your engine would start to get hot. And if it got too hot, it could mess you up. But you could find and, and strategically drive through puddles, which would cool your boost meter down. Uh, or you could jump, hit big jumps, and the air that would come in from the bottom side of your cab would cool your boost down. And the game just was like in tropical islands where the first game was primarily like dirt canyons and stuff like that. But I love those games. I have a huge soft spot for them. Even the PSP one, uh, Arctic Edge was a great game. I really enjoyed it. That was uh, from the now defunct Big Big Studios. <laughs> oh, man. So many studios Sony has killed off. <laughs> Well, hopefully we can see somebody take the mantle and make a make a one for the PS5 with the DualShock. That'd be cool. Dude, if nothing else, if they literally brought back MotorStorm 1 and 2 and 3 as PS3 games, that they could find a way to get running either natively with DualSense support or... This is actually a huge problem. I am playing Infamous 2, right? Right. On computer. And I I have a, Dual, a, a DualShock 4. And I almost went and got it, but I was like, this is ridiculous. Do you know what hasn't happened? You cannot play on computer. You cannot play PS Now with a DualSense. I'm having to emulate a DualShock 4 with DS4 Windows through my DualSense to play Infamous through my DualSense. Why? Just because I don't know. Makes zero sense. Sony makes both products. Sony has actual supported uh, drivers for DualSense for Windows, and yet PS Now does not use them. And when you try and play it with just it plugged in, it says plug in a supported controller. So let me hit you with another little thing that I kind of I'm upset about that I think Stupid. about almost daily. Who made Bluetooth? I actually don't know that. It doesn't matter who made it because it's so universal, <laughs> right? Why can't I use Bluetooth yeah. on my PlayStation Five? Oh, yeah. Why can I not pair any pair of headphones I own to the PlayStation 5? You know what really makes me angry is that yep. I have a Roku TV. I can pair earbuds to my phone and listen to my audio for my TV through my phone. I cannot yep. do that with my PlayStation 5. It's blocked that way. I thought I found a workaround. Yeah. Welcome to the world of corporate greed. <laughs> it's so <laughs> annoying. This has been an issue since PlayStation 3. The first console to ever have Bluetooth. Right. And I remember they came out with the Bluetooth headset whenever SOCOM Confrontation came out. Little one that hang from your ear and look like one of those weird businessman ones. It was yeah. cool, but everyone started having this thing of like, if I have another Bluetooth headset, why can I not use it? And you just can't. 
You can't. The Vita is a little bit better. You can actually, for the Vita, you can pair most things to just listen with, thankfully. <laughs> um, the Switch for a long time, you couldn't. And now it seems like maybe you can, if I'm not mistaken. The most recent, one of the more recent updates allowed it to where you didn't have to use the adapter that someone else made to be able to use your own headphones. Is that right? On the Switch? Right. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. For as universal as it is, I don't really know why that continues to be an issue. But back to the DualSense thing, it would be really cool if PlayStation could actually set up games that are being streamed to create a little middleman layer and say, hey, we recognize that you're playing a PS3 game on DualSense. And if there was a way to inject some kind of code in there, which is probably not, but because somebody would have to probably go through and code it. But it would be really cool if they would find a way to be like, hey, while you're playing PS3 games through stream, uh, we'll add DualSense support for PS3 games. That's it. Like, we're not doing anything else, but we just say, oh, we recognize this controller. Here is the DualSense version. Uh, but then I guess that also comes with the fact that people are going to want DualSense to... You know, you kind of could, though. This is weird. It wasn't the same exactly, but I'm sure you remember one thing about PS3. The, the, the faded, dreaded, whatever you want to call it, triggers on the back and how they were downward sloping oh, and at yeah. the back at the back unlike ps2 which had the same l2 r2 with the same slope more or less but it had that plastic stop because they could you know it was like a normal button press right ps3 had a gradual it, it there was no plastic so you could gradually pull it back and adjust your it was it was essentially just like the dual sense but without an actuator inside of it so it, there was nothing necessarily to resist you, but you could you could feather the trigger. Right. And it was great for like racing games and stuff like that. They technically could, I would imagine, through emulation, just say, hey, just a- let the actuator work as a tension for what this actually is. But I don't know if they'd give feedback the other way. It would be kind of cool, though. PS3 was ahead of its time in a lot of ways and also woefully behind in others. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, here we are. Uh, let's see. Is there any more on Twitter you want to grab? Um, Actually, yeah. I actually just left Twitter. I just left it, but... It no, if was, you don't have any, I'll go ahead and finish up over here. No, it was it was a short one. and sweet one. And it <laughs> I know that one person, I think it might have been Big Mike, mentioned a game I'd never heard of. And he made it sound like oh, it's yeah. a, a very uh, niche game. Sky Gunner from PS2. Yeah, and I think he said it was what, what was the? Um, it's made by Atlas, or localized yeah, by Atlas. Yeah, localized by Atlas. Yeah, three D third person shooter. Interesting. I just got to shout out Ron because he always says tourist trophy. Always, without fail. And what's worse is he doesn't even say it. He just always alludes to like you know. He's like you, you know, know the answer. He's like you know what it is. Go ahead. You know what me. it is. Ryan, one of these days, I hope for your sake. You get that tourist trophy. I do. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Deep in my heart. Uh, Deep in my bones. I want to say Josh Ayers, one of our other longtime patrons. Thank you, Josh. He says, FF uh, Final Fantasy, Dissidia, Duodecim, which was a PSP fighter game. uh, That was actually incredibly fun. Or Final Fantasy Tactics, War of the Lines. Both of them PSP games. PSP had a killer library for anyone who doesn't know that. It did. It's it's my second favorite handheld library. Behind DS or what? Game Boy Advance. Game Boy Advance. Game Boy Advance does have some straight bangers, I will tell you. Uh, all right. I'm going to grab 
two more off of because we got a bunch so thank you guys for all these but i am going to grab two more off of facebook one i'm going to do is i love blake shoot uh, blake shoot sorry josh shoot said that but blake pope said the psp grand theft auto games and i actually would not be surprised if those come because right now there's not a lot of ways to play them so whether we get them as the psp uh, releases, or if we get them as the PS2 ports they eventually did, I would imagine that we will see Liberty City Stories and Vice City Stories. And if we get real lucky, I don't know if you remember this one, it was a DS game, Chinatown Wars, yep. that eventually did get ported to the PSP. I never played it, but didn't it need, it needed something weird, didn't it? No, I think the way that it worked is that instead of it being the common 3D Grand Theft Auto that we were all used to at that point in time, it had returned to the Grand Theft Auto 2 style and Grand Theft Auto London style That might be down. what I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah. But it was for the DS, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. You know, it it was uh, kind of like Retro City Rampage, more or less, you know, in, in style. But it, it had like, it wasn't like pixel graphics or anything. It was like real, you know, 3D stuff. It just wasn't very robust or anything. Um, anyway, those are interesting. And those are also really, they were good games. They hold up pretty surprisingly well for the time. Um, and the last one I want to choose from over here comes from Josh Shoop. He says, if I'm allowed to dream a little bit, I would kill to be able to play many of the Squaresoft PS1 games like Brave Fencer Musashi, Bushido Blade, Parasite Eve, and they're all stuck on that system and it drives me nuts. More than any game, though, the best game that Square that Squaresoft put on the PS1, yes, I feel more than Final Fantasy VII even, Xenogears, I would kill to be able to play that game. And I remember saying a while back that the true value in my mind, and it doesn't necessarily mean there's numbers to support it, but I think the true value of the idea of what Sony's saying, hey, we're going to let you play some old games. We're not going to do anything to them. We're just going to have them playable. The real value of that lies in games that have been stuck in such a way that they never have gotten re-released. And they're stuck on systems, but they're very niche games, so they're very expensive to buy for that system. Xenogears and Xenosaga being prime examples of that. I think if done correctly, they could get a lot of games that people absolutely adore that are stuck on systems like Crisis Core, and people would actually want to go towards that premium tier for that. Yeah. But we'll see. They could. They won't. <laughs> to to kind of add on to his, I wasn't going to read it, but it, it is something that's important to talk about here. Um, he brings up Metal Gear Solid, the very first game. And the problem that he states, and I'm wanting to double check with you because I'm, I, for some reason, thought I was under the impression that a PC port had released. But he says, obviously, it's going to happen, but... I don't think he meant not, but he said it has to be a Metagross Solid. Despite having a computer, Xbox Series S, and PlayStation 5, there is no way I can play Metagross Solid currently. Something about that seems so bizarre that it's impossible for me to buy and buy that game and play that game outside of just owning the original uh, and having a PS1 to play it on. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Two things about that, I guess. The other thing is it's still not on modern consoles. You can buy the PS Classic on PSP, PS Vita, and, well, PSP's gone, but PS Vita and PS3. Um, and am I wrong, Saul, that there was a 
computer port? Didn't you buy a computer port for Metal Gear Solid One? Yeah, I did. It's Metal Gear Solid on on. Yeah, it's just Metal Gear Solid. I wonder if he means Twin Snakes. I'm pretty sure he's talking about Metal Gear Solid One because he's talking about being being stuck on play. We he's I've I've seen him talking about it on his Facebook elsewhere, and I don't. Here's the real question. Did Metagross Solid's PC port get pulled? Like, if you already own a license, you can keep it, but they've otherwise kept it? Uh, that I have no idea. Because maybe that would make more sense. But right here, Metagross Solid on GOG. I'm looking right? at it. Well, now, see, I'm not saying it's good. I don't... It, it, it may not be. I already have this installed, so I can't tell you if the if it's done something wacky with the price. It just says. It just well, says. If I go to it, it has. It says, "Buy as gift or go to my library." It says it's seven forty nine though, and it's cut hmm. down from nine ninety nine. I wonder. I wonder. Do you do you mean? So hold on. Let's back off. Let's let's back up because Microsoft Windows was apparently an original an original port. In hold on. What? It was followed by an expanded version for PlayStation and Windows called Metagross Solid Integral. So apparently Metagross Solid released on PC back in a long time ago. I I actually did not know that until today. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. Um, PC yeah. version. The PC version was released in North America, Europe, and Asia in late 2000. Ported by Microsoft, or sorry, published by Microsoft Game Studios and developed by Digital Dialect. Wait a second, I knew that. I think that's the first way I played Metal Gear Solid. It supports the use of a keyboard or a USB game controller with at least six buttons. And the, and we had a USB game controller that did not work for it. We did have that on PC. You had to use the key. You had to use the keyboard because that was back when arrow keys controlled your character and not WASD. So what I understand well, here apparently is maybe that WASA did, but the arrow keys controlled your camera. I, no, there is no camera control. It was it was for sure arrow keys. The, apparently, the version that you can get on GOG is literally just a very basic reissue of the original PC port. So apparently, it's not very good. Yeah, because none of them have had remakes at all. Like, I mean, technically, 3 got like a remake in a weird way, like with Snake Eater, if you consider that a well, remake. I mean, but they kind of did that for all of them, right? Didn't Metagross Solid 2 have a, a, a different version? Because it was Sons of Liberty, and then didn't it have its own other version? It's been so long. Also, technic- I don't know if it was a port or a remake or what, but I don't know if you remember, 3DS has uh, Metagross Solid 3D. Yeah, that's just Metagross Solid was, 3. Yeah, I, that's why I didn't know if it was a remake or just a port with 3D added into it. Um, Wait, hard on. to say. <laughs> For me, but no, Metal Gear Solid is just Metal Gear Solid Two: Sons of Liberty. So it's 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 three just three. It's three with subsistence and Snake Eater. Subsistence is first, yeah. Snake Eater is second, yeah. Snake Eater it had the improved. Well, hold on, it had the improved. You had free unquote, camera control. Camera control. I, was it free or was it just behind the back? I think it was just behind the back. I don't remember. It being you might be free. right, but I know I know that the camera definitely changed. Um, See, that's that's one thing that kind of angers me. Is yeah, I haven't played these games. I didn't since. play Subsistence. I haven't played Subsistence, but I watched someone play it, and then I played when Snake Eater came out, and I remember like this feels different, and I and I remember it being that I thought it was the camera angle. I um, um, 
there's some other changes. But, I rented yeah. subsistence and then bought snake eater. Look at that. Beautiful. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in or not tuning in. Sorry, but chipping in for the community stake section. And hopefully y'all will have some uh, zealous answers for us to get into and read. Um, for this upcoming one but we're going to go ahead and sneak into the news first and foremost right now and the first thing on the news here is actually some pretty interesting stuff that came ubisoft's remake for the classic this is as of today ubisoft's remake for the classic title prince of persia the sands of time hits yet another development hiccup as it was announced that development for the game is being shifted from ubisoft uh, uh, Pune and Mumbai. I don't know if that's how you actually say those. Apologize. To being led by Ubisoft Montreal, who were the studio behind the original games released back in the early 2000s. Uh, the press release continues as follows. Quote, this decision is an important step and the team building upon the work achieved by Pune and Mumbai will not take that will now take the time they need to regroup on the scope of the game to deliver the best experience for this remake of an all-time classic when it's ready, end quote. Whether this was an issue of the team's output not meeting expectations or more likely than not management issues remains up in the air, but what is for certain is that we should not expect to see or hear from this remake for quite some time. And this is a huge hit because... I feel like when they first showed this game, Saul, and I, I think you might agree, when they first showed this game, they acted like, and they even gave it a date, they acted like this will be out and we're basically nearing completion. Yeah. Do you remember that? And then we got struck with this thing of internet backlash being like, this is not good enough. Remakes are being handled at far higher levels from the likes of Activision, which if you look at that now, Activision is... I guess the new Ubisoft and the fact that I'm pretty sure back when this was a revealed at Ubisoft, Ubisoft was going through sexual <laughs> misconduct allegations. Uh, and now Activision is doing the same, but still um, when looking at it, it's like there's so many other remakes that are being done at high quality that people thought it wasn't enough. And so they kind of went back and said, we're going to really push down and make this a bigger, better remake than what we initially anticipated. And now this happens. Uh, so Saul, I know that much like me, you were looking forward to this. The Sands of Time is one of my all-time favorite games. It's a fantastic game. Even the original still holds up to this day. What are your thoughts here? I am disappointed, but it's it's always one of those like bittersweet disappointments, quote unquote, where I was in, I was looking forward to this. <laughs> um, I I have been waiting for this for a while now, and I am. I am hoping that it will be as good as the original. Because as you said, the, yeah, the original holds up to this day. Like you know, easily. My, it's it's both a, it could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing, right? I'm kind of trying to juggle this in my head. I've been trying to think of it all day. When they talk about reevaluating the scope for the game, um, it makes me wonder... What style of remake are we talking about here? Is this a strictly remake, essentially like what we saw with Shadow of the Colossus and Medieval, where it's and even Demon Souls in most ways, where it's virtually the same game, mechanics are unchanged pretty much entirely, besides maybe some fixes that the original didn't get to fix, and that's it with a new pretty engine and graphic systems, or 
is this one of those remakes that's more like a fire red leaf green or omega ruby and alpha sapphire where they're looking at the original game but they're coming up and rebuilding it from the ground up and using some of the ideas and the story but expanding on the mechanics and ideas in ways that were not in the original or possible in the, when the or possible and then that becomes the question of I don't actually know which one I want. Like part of me wants to play just a better looking, slightly smoother running and maybe feeling like maybe tweak the controls just a hair, but more or less keep the same game that Prince of Persia Sands of Times was. Yeah. But at the same time, there's parts of me that think that if they don't go too crazy, there's some cool things that they could do to expand on the story and expand on the presentation and maybe even expand on the gameplay just a little bit that could make the game familiar for longtime fans, but new enough and jazzy enough that people who are coming in and playing it for the first time have a new version. So kind of like Final Fantasy VII Remake in, in a way, if you kind of want to look at that, right? I don't know. Part of why I was excited for that game was being able to play a game that was thought of and developed and made with the restrictions in mind of that era of console when games weren't so large and didn't seem so massive and like you're inundated to play them once you start because there's so much to do but at the same time going up and scale with it a little bit and modernizing it and doing something could be really cool do you have a, a preference of where you hope it actually lands or do you or do you think when they say scope they're meaning more just how deep into the remake they want to go from like a graphical presentation level um it's weird it's i think the original one i remember it playing incredibly well so I don't I don't know what they could do to improve upon it from a playability standpoint. Um I think that they could make it obviously look a lot better. Um so I don't know. It's it's real weird. Well, say let's say that they bring it back, right? Let's say we don't hear about it for a year. And 2023 rolls around. And they say, guess what, guys? Here we are back with what we've finally gotten pulled together in Montreal. And what they show looks and feels a lot like Sands of Time. But there's new voice recordings and new story elements that are added and maybe a little bit of different gameplay stuff they're saying, they're showing. Are you going to be like, ah, or is it or is it going to kind of be like a middle ground, like interesting let's see let's see how it actually plays out or is it gonna be something that you're gonna be like damn i was really just hoping for a remake of that exact original title um it's hard i i i want just a remake of the original title so if they show me anything but that i'm gonna be disappointed i'll be open-minded but i agree that oh depending on how they show it though too right presentations, everything you can potentially get win somebody over with something they didn't think they wanted. It's possible. Good example of that being your trepidation toward final fantasy seven remake, just to play it and love it. True. You know what I mean, very true. It can happen. It can happen. But what I want too is kind of just that like, dude, give me what I got out of crash bandicoot insane trilogy. Give me honestly, dude, if they were going to go and maybe if they met and I don't think they do, if they meant by scope on this that this is going from the Sands of Time to the Sands of Time trilogy, and we're going to get to play all three of them that's, we made, that's what I. That want. would be sick. Yeah. Um, even though I'm, I'm going to probably say the potentially unpopular opinion, 
the first game of those three is absolutely the best one. Every game afterwards has major issues, even though I like them for different reasons, and I, I think they're still pretty solid games. They have not aged near as well as the first one, and that became clearly evident to me when they did the Prince of Persia trilogy on PS3. It was a remaster of those three games that you could play, and I played all three of them, and I did not even beat the last one because I was like, "This is the game is just fine," it, but it's it shows its date and a. It shows its age a lot more than the the more simplistic setup and execution of the first game. Yeah. But I would still play it if it was remade from the ground up, I'd replay it in a heartbeat. Because some of the some of the glitches that were available that were present in that game could be accounted for and fixed. Was it you or am I thinking of someone else who talked about it might have been your brother even? Talked about in that the last game, and I always want to call oh, it me. Revelations or whatever. Uh, even though, what's what's the actual last t- game called? It's going to bother me that I can't think of it. Sands it of was Time, Warrior Sands of Within. Time, Warrior Within, and the some was it Throne? Something oh, I'm trying to think. Oh, 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 Two Thrones. The Two Thrones, yeah, because it was Dark Prince and, and Normal Prince. And Dark Prince's power used yes. your health. The the and, problem with this is that I also replayed both two and three on PSP. I don't know if you remember this. And they renamed two into Revelations. What? So that's what they and, did with Assassin's Creed, wasn't it? Am I crazy? Uh, no. No, they, they came out with a game that was actually a prequel called Bloodlines for PSP. Uh, but it was its own original title. But I remember that the PSP version of 2 is called Revelations. And I remember being blown away that you could play that game on PSP. (laughs) Really genuinely blown away. And then Two Thrones had its own as well. Hold on. Two Thrones PSP. Rival Swords is what the PSP version was called. I don't really understand the... The choices there, but yeah. Um, anyway, I, I would love to play all those. If that's what they come back with and say, hey, we've converted this to a trilogy to be more like what you've seen out of Spyro and Crash, even though I don't anticipate that because the difference here is that all three of those games are significantly larger games than Spyro or Crash individually. Yeah, they are. are Absolutely. If we're just being honest. So we'll see. Uh, anyway, do you have any closing thoughts on that? Or are you ready to move on? No, uh, I was going to say though, uh, since I don't have a lot to say in the next couple of news segments, I'm going to take this chance to go use the bathroom real quick. Bet. All right, let's see. Next thing up after users were taking advantage of Sony's policy for existing subscriptions converting into the new tiers for the revamped PS Plus, Sony has blocked subscription stacking and have stopped redemption of prepaid cards until the new service launches. Uh, And that means whatever the date is for your area. So if you're in... um, North America, I think it's like June 13th or something like that. Uh, Anyway... uh, As a result, anyone who was able to redeem before this move will see their existing subscription transfer as originally planned, but a new conversion table shows how unredeemed prepay cards will convert to the new service once it launches and you're able to put them in. So a one-month PS Plus prepaid voucher will get you 31 days of the base PS Plus still, 20 days of the middle tier extra, uh, and then 17 days of premium. Three-month prepaid card of PS Plus will give you 92 days of PS Plus Essential, 58 days of PS Plus Extra, 46 days of PS Plus Premium. 12 months, a one-year card will give you 365 days of PS Plus Essential, 
219 days of of uh, extra and 183 days of premium. PS Now, very similar. Twenty uh, one month card will get you 40 days of essential. Uh, PS Plus, 25 days of extra and 21 days of premium. Three months will get you 105 days of essential. 66 days of extra, 53 days of premium. And then a 12-month PS Now card will get you 365 days of PS Plus Essential, uh, 219 days of PS Plus Extra, and 183 days of PS Plus Premium. So if that was a lot for you to get in, you can find that chart in a couple of different places. Uh, But hopefully you didn't spend too much money just to end up getting hit with this. Though I don't blame them. Even Microsoft eventually decided to close their loopholes for the majority of the loopholes that they have for Game Pass that you can get through uh, Xbox Live Gold. So we will see what ends up happening there. Um, So hopefully no one was impacted too hard. Uh, Next thing up, PS Now is soon to be drawing to a close, but May sees the service add Naruto Shippuden, Ultimate Ninja Storm 4, Soul Calibur 6, and blasphemous to the service prior to the services eventual folding in with PS plus there will be conversely 56 games leaving PS now in May and would seem to not be found on the new PS plus premium subscription. Some of those games include all of the Sonic titles that are on the service. So that's team Sonic racing, which was recently added Sonic adventure one, Sonic adventure two. I think unleashed is on there. Generations is on there. forces is on there. So Pretty much any Sonic game that you want to play, sadly, will not be on there as of the end of May. They're actually being removed at different dates throughout. But uh, some of the other games that are on there are being removed on there, rather, uh, are Metagross Solid, um, uh, 5, both Ground Zeroes and The Phantom Pain. And most hard-hitting is Metagross Solid 4, the PS3 classic, which up until this point has remained exclusive to PS3. So removal from this service means that PS3 will be the only way to play Metagross Solid 4 for now, unless something else happens to here. That's not to say that none of these games couldn't come back to the new service, but this is when their contract or whatever it is is ending here. Metagross Solid 4 is probably the most interesting one. I would have thought that would have been a real staple of the PS3 Classic section for PS Plus Premium. And we'll instead see if maybe this is a hint towards some kind of a collection for all of the games coming. So Capcom, or not Capcom, Konami's taking them off so that they can push people into buying a collection where... Maybe, just maybe, Metal Gear Solid 4 might be able to be played for the first time ever on an Xbox console even. We'll definitely see how that ends up happening. Uh, Next thing up, speaking of classic titles that might actually be new to this service, the new PS Plus Premium, Internet Sleuths are finding evidence of some classic titles on the PlayStation Store's back end, and some titles that have been found so far are Tekken 2, Ridge Racer 2, Mr. Driller, Worms World Party and Worms Armageddon. Now, those are games that are, I'm pretty sure, all PS1 games, but they are currently found on the back end of the PlayStation Store, which has been seen as a means through back ends of multiple digital storefronts for uh, gaming to see games that are coming or on their way. So I would be willing to bet that those will be on there. And this is just a small taste of what will eventually be on there. Uh, as we've seen with the likes of the siphon filter games also being sussed out to some degree. 
um, by way of the ratings boards. Uh, next thing up on the news, Final Fantasy 16 development continues to truck along, but seems to be going well as producer Yoshi P shares that the title is in the quote, final stages of development as part of an interview regarding the 35th anniversary of the series to continue this quote people he says rather a quote as a single player game we are aiming to integrate story and gameplay even further different to a game where many people play online at the same time the extent to which the game has an individual focus changes how immersed you are in the story i think it's become a story with quite a lot of depth to people who have grown up entering work society or entering working society and think reality isn't as easy as a video game or easy going as a video game and at some point ended up separating from final fantasy we want to we want them to remember their passion from back then we're making the game with that intention which is kind of an interesting way of saying i think final fantasy has been often continuing to push and push and push and kind of not worry so much about the pre- the past of Final Fantasy unless it's something like a Final Fantasy VII remake where they're trying to play off of the nostalgia and feeling and love towards those old Final Fantasies. Um, this one outright looking at it and saying, Final Fantasy sixteen. we're looking at this and saying, we want this to be a classic experience. We want people to come in here and feel like this is classic fantasy uh, Final Fantasy. And I don't know if that's really been hit since Final Fantasy 12 um, saw coming coming back in at the right time, Final Fantasy 16 kind of being looked at and saying that he wants people to who have who've grown up entered working you know society and kind of separated Final Fantasy. He wants them to remember the passion for Final Fantasy from back then, and they're making the game with that intention to bring people back around. Um, Yoshi P is pretty popular in regards to Final Fantasy, primarily due to his work with the online games. But I think he understands what Final Fantasy fans of of long ago want. And I feel like it's a very different strategy from Square to be outwardly saying, like, we're making this with Final Fantasy history in mind more so. Uh, when I feel like the last time that was really the case was Final Fantasy XII. Yeah. Um, I think Final Fantasy... 13 had some aspects of it because people often say like, oh, that game's too linear. People who say that, I feel like didn't play the first 10 hours of Final Fantasy 10. Yeah. Because are really any of the early play, any of the early Final Fantasy games are very linear games. Yeah. Well, I they mean, just some of them, like, treat six, you into thinking they're different. Yeah. Like the, of the world map, the first like hour and a half of six, like opens up pretty, pretty easily. But yeah, like, like I feel like, you know, thirteen was pretty linear. Uh, it was linear most of the way through, where some games, most of the games, do open up. But um, you know, I, Final Fantasy is in my top three favorite franchises of all time, probably. If not top three, it's top five for certain. Um, sure. Yeah. For me, I am super excited to see how they're going to handle sixteen. Uh, I am in love with the aesthetic. I am in love with the character design, the art. I'm in love with everything about the game so far. And I'm kind of hoping that that keeps going because, like you mentioned earlier, Final Fantasy VII, it became this kind of ace in the hole for me with them. Was like, yeah, this is really good. I am now anticipating them to kind of keep that momentum going strong. And that's one reason I'm not giving them slack for Triangle Strategy is because I could recognize that Triangle Strategy is a really good game, and that's coincidentally going to be the part of part of the uh, main topic. Um, but for me, it's it's just not something that caught me. 
but I could see the sure. dedication that was put into that. And that's kind of like something I, I do want to pose as like a question out there to the community of like, I, I love Final Fantasy games. I'm not a big fan of 15. I've tried it multiple times. I just was not a massive fan. Should I, should I play the new one? Like, I want to hear from like Josh and Kiki and, and everybody and, and, you know, anybody else who, who is a Final Fantasy fan that has played the new one. Is it like worth playing for somebody who likes the originals and likes the new games? Because my Final Fantasy games, like my favorite ones, range from six to 12 to, Seven to tactics. I have a pretty wide so, berth in like what I like. When you ask, should you play the new one? Do you mean the new, the newer version of Final Fantasy fifteen, or what are you talking about? I'm sorry. No, the the um, chaos. I can't think what it's called. Oh, Stranger in Paradise. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I got so you. So I, gotcha. I want to be curious. Yeah. I know it has like a loot shooter aspect to it, which is kind of a very interesting take on it it doesn't necessarily mean it would not work i actually would be curious because it sounds yeah. like it could work pretty well if done correctly which it well, sounds like you, they kind of did i'm debating trying it because i've heard nothing but good about it and I, I don't i don't i mean really that it's it's surprising that people are like it's it's a little weird for a final fantasy game just because it's it's the style of game you don't anticipate from final fantasy but that everything else about it they really like not necessarily that it has to tie in, but like a lot of people seem to think that the way the game ends and ties into the story and stuff is something that longtime Final Fantasy fans will really like. So I, I don't know. I've heard I've seen a lot of people really gushing about it while admitting that there are very there are some elements that are like a little rough around the edges, but for the most part, it does something novel and unique with a franchise that's not been done in that franchise before. Yeah, the only thing that that, that gets me is like I'm I'm pretty sure I know the ending of that game, <laughs> like. I'm I'm pretty sure I I I have an idea of what happens. Um, I would be remiss. Well, we kind of talked about it. <laughs> yeah, but it would be interesting if they really do subvert expectations like considerably. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and do it correctly. So why don't you guys let me from uh, from the community? Let me know. I know Kiki is going to say yes because he loves the game. I know Josh is going to say yes because he loves the game. Let me hear some other outside voices. Yeah. Also, hey, you guys can let Matthew Green know as well because he was recently asking if I'd started it yet, which I have not because um, I'd mentioned that I was looking at potentially starting it. Uh, he was looking as well because he keeps hearing good things and he just wanted to kind of get someone else's voice uh, that he felt like he trusted. So uh, give him some encouragement to play it if you think it's worth the time. But for the time being, we'll definitely see what ends up happening with Final Fantasy 16. I'm excited because it looks like a big break from Final Fantasy of recent years. And I like Final Fantasy of recent years, but there's something that's kind of novel about going back to the very, like, uh, what do you even want to call it? Like, um, Medieval? more high fantasy style yeah. and medieval looks and feel to the series. Um, though, as the series has always been one to do, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some some level of, of surprise within that. You know what I mean? Right. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but we'll definitely see what ends up coming from it. Uh, anyway, next thing up on the news is uh, Dead Space creator Glenn Schofield seems to be teasing an update with a real look at the Callisto Protocol, which is the upcoming spiritual successor to Dead Space, from his new studio, Striking Distance Studios, by sharing a piece of concept art with a tag that it, quote, it's almost time to show you the real thing. End quote. Um, 
I don't know if for anyone who just maybe is coming in the first time and may have remembered seeing the trailer for the Callisto Protocol, but I feel the need to remind everyone that the Callisto Protocol takes place in the PUBG universe, and I just think that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even mean like it's probably going to be great and the game could, you know, really blow us away. I am willing to give them the bit of the doubt going up to the point, but being like, this is like hundreds of years in the future of the PUBG universe. At some point, it just feels like you're saying things are part of the same universe because Marvel did it. <laughs> you can be like, eventually we'll tie it into something else. We'll make a game that's 200 years past. Then we'll make one that's present day and there'll be ties between all three of them. You know? Yeah. That's, uh, Not to say ugh. it can't be done. Nah. It just seems kind of silly at this stage. It can be. It, so. it can be done for sure. But it's the Jeff Goldblum meme of like, what? what is it he says in Jurassic Park of... Um, we often thought uh, if we could not, not no. uh, you, you, yeah, your scientists are so preoccupied with whether they could, they never stop to think about whether they should. Yeah, it's not the exact quote, but it's very close to that. Yeah, thing. it's the it's the it's the spirit that counts. <laughs> well, look, you know what's really all this is is a checkbook that said, "Listen, we will fund this game that you've been wanting to make. We will give you the creative freedom that you want. We are the PUBG group. We have tons of money." And all we ask is that you let us say that it's part of the PUBG universe. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure he was like, okay, as long as we could say it's like hundreds of years in the future so that people don't have to think like, wait, what? How does this have to do with the guys who are running around shooting each other on motorcycles? <laughs> right. You know? But we'll, we'll see. The, the crazy thing is if in like 10 years from now, we're like looking back at this and being like, wow, we didn't realize that this was about to be the Marvel, like the MCU of gaming. And like everyone loves it in the PUBG universe. It's like this huge sprawling thing with multiple loops coming in and like, oh, can you wait for the next PUBG game? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Who knows? I don't want to that. That'd be odd. That's what. Do you remember when everybody wanted that from the Spider-Man games? Like everyone was like, "We want there to be an MCU, but for gaming." And I'm like, "Can do you guys not get tired of the MCU in your day to day life?" I'm gonna be honest. I just do. I, I I don't want that to follow me to my gaming. I don't. Well, and to be fair, I, it's, it's we're getting Wolverine. It's and from what they're saying, it looks like Wolverine is in the same world. And you know. I think for me, it's because I'm so disconnected from the actual MCU now, I would be fine with that. But I also hope that it's not MCU level where like every year there's like four new games that are tied in the same universe and you start feeling like you have to play every single one of them oh, to yeah. get what's going to happen in the next one. Um, have you seen the Weird Al trailer? Uh, no, but trailer? The, you're talking about the one with uh, Daniel Radcliffe playing Weird Al? Yeah. No, I haven't, but I, I should. He's, I he's looking awfully ripped. Or someone playing Weird Al. I'm pretty sure my theory of him being Wolverine is going to be uh, maybe spot on. Dude, I mean, I could kind of see it. It'd be interesting to see. We'll see. Then again, I, I'm trying to think. How good is he in an American accent? Uh, he's pretty good. Go. Uh, I've seen him in a couple of movies with an American accent. He's actually a, a really good, just like normal run-of-the-mill actor. Oh, I mean, the things I've seen him in is great, but it's all like random weird things where he either is, it makes sense for him to have his accent or he's like in that, uh, I can't think of the name of the movie right now, but the one with Paul Dano. Um, Paul Dano. Paul Dano. And, oh, uh, oh, crap. Swiss where Army Dan Reckless dead the whole time. Yeah, Swiss Army. Man. <laughs> Such a good movie. <laughs> I forgot Paul I Dano's that in that movie. 
and yeah, and playing his uh, playing the normal role that he plays. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love him for it. It's a good role. There's another good uh, Paul Dano movie. Just while we're all talking about Paul Dano, uh, not Batman, but you should go see Batman. Batman's also really good. Uh, it's called Ruby Sparks. It's a phenomenal movie. All right, I'll have to check that out. All right, next thing up on the news, the next Call of Duty, to absolutely zero surprise, is indeed a follow-up to Infinity Ward's Modern Warfare reboot, titled simply Modern Warfare 2, but but it's the Roman numeral 2 as opposed to the number 2. Oh, no. That way, when you type in Modern Warfare 2, it can try and differentiate between Modern Warfare 2 that came out in 2009. <laughs> That's so stupid. I'm going to be honest. The thing that makes me the most annoyed about modern gaming is that when they reboot things, they don't change the names. And you end up with like four games that are all called Modern Warfare 2 to some degree. And then you end up with two God of Wars, and you have to say God of War 2018. <laughs> Bro, just call it something different. Call it God of War and then give it a surname. Do something. To God, to I should War. Not have to- <laughs> <laughs> you know what? At least they tried, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, there's something about that. Like, the the one of the next pieces of the news, I said I had to put 2013 in the name it's like which one are you talking about homie <laughs> like, how many tomb raiders are there that's but true i'm just saying i hope that that's something we get around to because it's the same thing happens with movies i should not have just give it a surname or something i guess it, it bothers me less with movies than it does with games for some reason i don't really know why but it's an annoyance uh, anyway, the logo was revealed, but for now, this is all the info they have shared officially. Though I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of the big E3 dumps that comes about. I didn't put it in the news, by the way, but Xbox and Bethesda have announced um, a showcasing around the time of E3. Yeah. So I would not be surprised to hear Sony talk about getting a PlayStation showcase together, uh, which is what they've been calling for the last two years, their big PlayStation events that are kind of like E3 level, um, where you really get things like a God of War Ragnarok reveals and stuff like that. So maybe, just maybe, we'll be hearing about that soon. Uh, Next thing up on the news, though, Battlefield 2042 and FIFA 22 are strongly rumored to be joining EA Play in the coming weeks, meaning those who held out on the shaky launch of Battlefield's most recent entry can finally dive in and try for a much cheaper entry cost. I don't know if it's going to help the game at all. Nope. <laughs> but maybe. I mean, they did just add voice chat. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that game looks so sick to be so bad. It's so disappointing. It's one of those things where the trailer looked incredible. I'll give it that. And yeah. I don't even like always online games, so I wasn't that interested. But the trailer was cool. And then you follow it up by releasing a game that is incomplete. Right. It's just so sad. And this is this is where distrust between publishers and gamers comes from. Because there is no need to release this game. Do you think that EA was not aware that the game was incomplete? Do you really think that the people behind the game were like, yeah, it's completely done. Feature finished. Go ahead. Put it out. Put it out, EA. Put it out. <laughs> yeah. And then EA was like, darn, you snuck one under the rug. We didn't know it wasn't done. <laughs> That's not the way that happened. EA just pushed a game out that wasn't ready and they shouldn't have. Um 
And you know that's that's the kind of stuff that gives you the the multiple years of people saying EA is the worst company to work for in America for years and years. Uh, so you know it's you can kind of see how people reach the points that they get to. Uh, anyway, next thing up in the news, and this is a pretty big one: Embracer Group, the conglomerate over the likes of THQ Nordic, Gearbox Studios, Saber Interactive, and more, have announced a deal to acquire Square Enix's Western Studios and their IP that include developers such as Crystal Dynamics, Eidos, and Square Enix Montreal, and legacy IPs such as Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, and the relatively dormant Thief series, for example. The deal will include over 50 back catalog, ga- uh, catalog games from the studio's library and fits perfectly within the likes of THQ Nordic being a haven for older or abandoned IP from previous publishers. Square says the move will set them up for a more, a, a quote, more efficient allocation of resources, end quote, and that they intend to use the revenue generated by the sale, which was $300 million, by the way. Can you believe? Can you believe? What a steal. Three studios and all this IP, but they will use this money to invest in new businesses involving the blockchain, whatever the hell that means, the AI and the cloud. Embracer says that the move was to capitalize on, quote, compelling opportunities to grow these studios, end quote, and invest in their catalog of beloved IP, such as the Legacy of Kane and Thief series, which have been dormant in recent years. So for all of you who have been wanting either a Legacy of Kane remake, a Soul Reaver remake, or just a new entry, you might finally be getting it because Embracer has done a great job of bringing new entries to beloved titles just to see what's going to happen with them. I mean, we got Darksiders 3. We got Darksiders Genesis. We're getting a new Saints Row. They are not scared to pump, put money behind games that people love and see if they'll sink or swim. So that's interesting. And I really do hope that we get some kind of return to both Thief and Legacy of Cain. Um, there's already a new Tomb Raider that's being made, as was kind of confirmed by this. But I think the most surprising thing here from anyone is that if these studios were going to be stole, sold, I think a lot of people would have guessed that considering how close uh, the initiative from Microsoft is with Crystal Dynamics and the fact that Crystal Dynamics is essentially being the lead studio while the initiative is kind of like a support studio for their own game, <laughs> for the Perfect Dark game. I think a lot of people were surprised that this is not an announcement that Microsoft have chose to acquire these and that it was instead the Embracer Group. Um. I don't. I have a question for you, Saul. Sure. One of the things that's going around right now, <laughs> one of the things that's going around as a result of this, I think this came from Jeff Grubb, but it's also something that a lot of people could come to just by looking at it, is that there's some thought process here that what they're doing is kind of slimming themselves up to a core business that they find to be competent and that they run pretty well. And I think anyone can tell you that they're. Western-based studios have often seemed to have been poorly run and mismanaged as Square Enix. But a lot of people are looking at this and saying, is this evidence that you're trying to prune themselves and get themselves into a position where they're more marketable to be acquired? Do you think that that has anything to do with this? Or do you think they were just tired of constantly expecting too much? Just Because, uh, you know, the, the long-running thing is, oh, the Western titles underperformed. So what are your thoughts? (sighs) 
so when you when you say that you're going to invest in blockchain, <laughs> you're not making anybody excited for any person who does acquire you. I, I, I just I'm speechless at this. I think it's the most out of touch thing that I've ever seen come from a video game company. If that makes sense, this 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 is in terms of like the functioning, the way that a company is selling or or managing. This in Microsoft 2013 is baffling to me. <laughs> this is not as not as Microsoft bad. Microsoft 2013. It's not as bad as Microsoft 2013 because that would have fundamentally changed the way that games were handled. This is just. So interesting that you know. I don't know why. I just I don't know. I, while I find it weird that it was in, okay, I, I'm not gonna say I don't find it weird that it was the Embracer Group, but I find it weird that it was the Embracer Group over Sony or Microsoft. In terms of let let's look and follow the thought process that this is maybe that they're trying to get themselves set up Square Enix to be more um more accessible or more um what would you even say more enticing to potential buyers i struggle to a degree to think why wouldn't someone who's looking to acquire screen enix not just want to acquire them with the 300 million to also get three studios who put out pretty renowned titles for the most part and tons of legacy IP people, IP that people already look at. Like if Sony were looking at Square, right? And this was going on, right? And Sony were like, "Here's the Western Studios, right?" For a long time, people thought Tomb Raider was synonymous with PlayStation. So, wouldn't there be value in PlayStation being like, "We own Tomb Raider now. As we bought this, we have three more Western Studios that we can give titles to. Let them work on stuff. We have IP that we can use for any studio that we want." Sure. And it's only three hundred million on top of whatever the rest of Square would be. As a, when you, well, at least in context, right? When you look at that versus like that, that feels like uh, this is three pretty large studios. This feels like an Insomniac purchase, uh, and it's not much more than Sony spends on Insomniac. Uh, I think Sony spent somewhere in like one hundred and fifty million or something like that, one hundred and seventy million maybe for Insomniac. Pretty low uh, in comparison to the numbers we're seeing thrown around these days. Um, I feel like Sony would want that, but at the same time, there's this part of me that thinks like Sony makes story-driven single-player games, and that's what most of these studios have made and at least made a good reputation making. So do you think that maybe Sony would look at this and be like, we already make those types of games and we make them better. We don't need the wait? Uh, Maybe. I could see something like that, maybe. Or that is a thought process for certain. I just don't know. Or maybe it's like maybe it's that Sony's talking about, you know, everything that Sony's been doing lately from an acquisition standpoint seems to be pointing very heavily at multiplayer. So maybe Sony's like, we have all the single player studios we want, and we have enough to continue to have a pretty solid release schedule of our known PlayStation style games. But what we really need to make up is is enough studios that can push us out more multiplayer and uh, microtransaction driven games to where people have games that we can make extra income on. But either way, it's it's really interesting. I mean, it's, it is what it is, but it, it was such a weird move to wake up to 
Definitely whenever this next piece of news kind of came to light. So as part of the deal, Embracer revealed some information regarding Tomb Raider's lifetime sales and market strength. Overall, the series has sold 88 million units with its AAA output, with 38 million units of those being from the reboot trilogy. So that's Tomb Raider 2013, Rise of the Tomb Raider, and Shadow of the Tomb Raider. So three titles, 38 million copies. And this is... Interesting because it finally gives us some kind of context to what Square Enix says or saw as, quote, underperforming when they were talking about key Western franchises like Tomb Raider and like uh, Marvel. Like, you know, we never did completely get numbers for Marvel's Avengers. We never did get real numbers for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. But Tomb Raider was also one that they considered to be underperforming. And yet three titles sold 38 million. There are series that would love to be three titles deep and almost 40 million units sold, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't, it's weird. I'm curious is the did it underperform in comparison to the budget? Like, are those games so expensive to make that 38 million copies across three games was not enough to adequately feel like the investment was worth it? Really? Like I could get that with Marvel's Avengers, right? All the licensing costs and stuff that goes into that game, I could see that game being too expensive and therefore being harder to meet expectations. But Tomb Raider, an IP that you own? I don't know. Yeah, I, it's a weird... It's really just bizarre. Either way, Embracer clearly thinks there's value to Tomb Raider's 38 million across three titles. I'm pretty sure THQ Nordic would love to have one of their titles sell. What yeah. would be 38 million divided by three? Let's just say, what, 12, 13 million? I'm pretty sure they would be like all over if there was 13 million for one of their games. You know, if if Kingdoms of Amalur sold, uh, Re-Reckoning sold 13 million, I think they'd be over the moon. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> that's that's so, some heavy whatever. numbers for some companies. Yeah, whatever. All right, last thing on the news before we go into the main topic is more acquisitions are likely in our future, to no one's surprise, as there is seemingly chatter around the industry that WB's new ownership in terms of WB Discovery, since they merged, is yet again looking to sell their game development studios and apparently license IP. So the long-running thing was that if they sold off their studios, people wouldn't want them because they'd want the IP. This looks like they're willing to part with the IP uh, or at least, you know, license it out as part of the agreement to sell. This comes from Imran Khan's Twitter, where he states that from what he's hearing, interested parties may include EA, Take-Two, Microsoft and Sony, because of course, Tencent, NetEase, and PUBG Corp. As always, consider this a rumor and take it with a grain of salt. But it's not the first time we've heard of this uh, in terms of, them wanting to shed weight in terms of WB's gaming studios. Originally, it was when AT&T was trying to sell them off, and now it's with Discovery coming into play. So I would say where there's smoke, there's likely fire. Doesn't mean that this is something you should absolutely believe, but it's starting to seem like there might be something to it. Um, so here, shortly, we may end up hearing about uh, Rocksteady or something being either exclusive or run by the CCP. So yeah, <laughs> we'll see what comes up of that. Uh, Saul, I don't think you have anything to say on that, but I'll open the floor for you before we go into the main topic. No, yeah, nothing much to say or think on that, really. 
Well, I'll tell you right now, Chris had something he wanted to say here as he uh, voiced and Sony by Nether Realm, please. Yeah. <laughs> He's been saying this for a while, just to throw that out there. Now, my, my real curiosity is I doubt Discovery would want to sell part of the studios when I guarantee when they know that there's somebody who would take all the studios at once in one deal and they wouldn't have to worry about all the extra paperwork from being like you get nether realm you get rocksteady you get wb montreal you know what I mean right so doubtful but hey Chris maybe Sony buys nether realm alongside rocksteady and wb montreal and all those other studios uh avalanche so we'll see what ends up happening um <laughs> uh, the main topic that we've landed on for today, though, kind of came about from a number of different things, things I've seen where people online are kind of communicating and talking about games and how often uh, this even happened to a degree with like Chris and myself on air and sometimes in private conversations that we have with Blake. Uh, and at what point is a game bad and genuinely bad versus or at least what point do you consider a game bad versus you just consider a game to not be your cup of tea or do you really much do you really view it as if a game is not your cup of tea and you don't like it ergo it's bad um and i think i kind of wish chris was here but this is going to be the community stake so he'll get his chance to come in next week and kind of give you his spiel um but Saul, I'm going to open the floor up to you with that question and kind of see what you think. So at what point do you consider a game bad versus a game just not being for you or, you know, as they colloquially say, not your cup of tea? So um, for me, objectively, for me, I should say, um, a game is bad when it's it, it has performance issues. If you're making a game okay. in 2022 and your game has performance issues, something's wrong. And that's a, that's an unforgivable spot for me. Like, if it's constantly dipping in frame rate, if it's constantly dipping, uh, or if it's constantly having screen tearing, you know, um, and I should say, I should say, this is at 30 frames per second. There, as we, gener- as we have, are in this new generation, 60 frames per second, has some of these like you know caveats that some developers are getting used to for consoles, not so much PCs, but mainly for consoles. Um, sure. So there's that. Another thing is um, if it's a game, I'll say if it's not like a game well, type. But b- before, see if you can hold that in your head for a second, because I do. Before we get too far away from, it, I want to go back to performance real quick. Because I think I kind of want to deepen this. Because you you say if you're making a game in 2022 and it's having performance issues, something's wrong. I'm going to really go on a bat. And as someone who has loved and played plenty of games that do have performance issues, I'm still going to go ahead and say at any point in gaming history, realistically, if you are making a game for a target console and you cannot hit that target console's standard of 30 frames per second, which is the industry standard of a minimal, viable, playable product, to where your game is in the 30 frames per second range at least 80% of the time, and when it does drop, it's never bad enough to take you out of the game, you've had a problem. I don't care really how far back you go. We kind of have relegated ourselves to 30 frames per second because of PS3 and HD gaming bringing resolution to the forefront where it's more important than everything else. But a lot of people don't think about it. 
Sonic and Mario and pretty much most uh, games that were on Sega and Super Nintendo and even Dreamcast and uh, many PS2 games were 60 frames per second games. Yeah. On PS2, on PS1. I mean, people don't think about it. Sonic Adventure 1 was 30 frames per second, but that's just because they rushed it out of the door. It was meant to be 60 frames per second. Sonic Adventure 2, 60 frames per second. That's a Dreamcast game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, De- I think Devil May Cry 3, if I remember correctly, is 60 frames per second on PS2. Call of Duty is always 60 frames per second because it's what feels right. So at some point, I've got to say, like, do I love Drake and Guard 3? You bet your ass. Is it completely unacceptable that that game ran oftentimes at like 24, 22 frames per second? No. And that's and that's something that people <laughs> should distinguish in their heads too, is that like you can enjoy bad games. You can have a game that has performance issues that you're like, this is this is bad. But that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. Yeah, and you know, I'll give I'll give you this that there is context. So when you say like when you're making a game today, there is a point where the context of what's happening around you or what's happening around said game does either lighten the load that you may have otherwise give it for criticism. Cause like in the PS3 era, considering that so many games were not 60 frames per second and so many games were 30 and occasionally would drop when games would drop, you wouldn't be like, I can't believe they're dropping because contextually everything else did. This kind of reminds me like, you know, you were talking about final fantasy 13 earlier, right? Right. And you said that people are like final fantasy 13 is too linear. And you're saying, didn't you play other final fantasies? Well, the, the problem that kind of comes into play there is that the reason that that game was too linear is because everyone was looking at final fantasy 13 in the context of what gaming was doing in 2007 True. or 2008, whenever that game came out. And so even though you're right in context to its own series, it's pretty in line for the series, but in context to what people were starting to like and expect out of games and what was happening in other games, contextually it felt limited in a time where we were supposed to be open giant worlds and hd high res graphics you know what i mean yeah so performance problems kind of fall into that same thing where the context of games that are coming out in the same area impact the way people view them but uh i kind of get you i just i do think it's important to note that anytime someone's making a game performance is kind of like it performance goes towards what i said earlier minimum viable product if your game does not run, why are you making it yeah. <laughs> at some point? So, but like you said, you can't enjoy things that end up being bad. So you said you were starting to bring up uh, styles of games. Uh, please continue. Yeah. So like style of games uh, or the, in terms of like how the genre, I should say, it clarify sure. that there's not an objectively bad genre, right? Can't be because it's all, I would agree. it's all objective. I mean, it's all subjective. Um, subjective. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it is this weird thing of like, <sighs> technically, a game, just because it's a first-person shooter does not mean it's bad, but there are ways that you can make a bad first-person shooter, right? Sure. Um, and I think that if you are adapting old like styles of the way games are played like um it'd be weird to have like a health bar and shields in a first person shooter nowadays it's based in like world war ii right it would just feel off like it feel like it's old 
right? Does that make sense? Like having like the the way the screen gets red and stuff like that, and then you die. That's that's more modern. But having like a bar, a literal bar on your screen in your HUD, and like a, for your shield and your health, or just as your health even, feels weird. Like it feels dated. So I think well, enough of that. Let, let, let's look at that for a second, right? Let's let's look at that for a second. Let's look at a game that just came out that essentially does that. Halo. Yeah. Right? Halo Infinite has a shield bar that you see, made, and it's in there. And I think we're approaching on something, because I do get where you're going with this. But at the same time, the weird thing is, is that things that sometimes date other games seem to be a novel thing that you accept in other games, no problems. It's like, because it's like a, you don't think about it. It's like a completely non-starter in your mind. You're like, they did it so well, or they found a way to incorporate it so well that you don't think twice about the fact that there's technically a health bar and a shield bar and all that stuff in a modern first-person shooter inside of Halo Infinite. You know what I mean? Right. And, and to be fair, like the way like it does work like well in Halo games, in my head as I'm describing this, I'm talking about like World War II games or or war games. Like realistic Yeah, I mean games. A, a game that a game that even then a game that comes to mind is like and, and I don't think it's weird because maybe like you said, realistic kind of pulls you away from it. Resistance had health bars. Uh resistance one, two, and three actually all had health bars. Um and I didn't mind that uh, because it played into the way that the overarching like I, I think for games like Resistance it works right because you have weapon wheels and you can hold a ridiculous number of guns that no one could hold. You have guns that can shoot through walls, which are clearly not realistic. But I guess you're saying like Medal of Honor or Call yeah. of Duty, World War Two. It feels weird to have a game that's portraying itself as realistic, but then sudden or at least grounded and realistic. To suddenly be like, but you have a health bar. To today's standards, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It feels like anything, I, but, I guess I should say, that makes a game feel dated um, and not in a good way. And it, and that's typically because of HUD clutter, because of performance issues, because of graphical problems, uh, voice acting, um, you know, a, mi- a million different things uh, that could go into play for this. To me, that can make a game subjectively bad. Uh, I don't yeah. want to play unless I have the mindset of playing a certain kind of game, especially like an older game. I don't want to have the thought process of playing, or I don't want to have that pop up and be like, "This game feels old," and not like in a good way. It feels dated. It feels like it was made in the wrong time, um, and sometimes it's just but too do, bad. But don't you find? And it's interesting because I'm really thinking about it. I think that this is a weird double-edged sword where things can feel dated and old and wrong because it's like people were trying too hard and missed in one direction. But then other times games will do things that are decidedly dated and yet that's part of the allure. Like, right? Like, let's look at, let's look at Project, uh, Project or Triangle Strategy, rather, and let's look at Octopath Traveler. Those are games that do decidedly old-style game thought processes and come out with that. And yet that's also what drew people to them. Seeing a 2d sprite based game with that weird 3d camera that you can flick around is enough to make people be like, yeah, you don't see that in games now. And the thing that should make it dated actually makes it novel again. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do think though that there are sometimes that the way that some things look like, um, I would say game Boy advance games, the way that those styles were, that's timeless. I, I would say that it's yeah. not clumsy. It's not dated by any means. Like, because you can make a game like look at Celeste. 
Celeste could yeah. looks like a Game Boy Advance game to me. And it looks perfect. It looks absolutely perfectly fine. But then you look at a game like I don't know if the newest Wolfenstein had it, but but like the the I know for sure the the older one did the, like the health bars and the HUD system. It just looked like a PS an early PS3 game or a late PS2 game. And see, it's it just it's interesting that you say that because I know we're having a large talk about overall what makes things, but uh, but I think that. The, the nuance in gaming is what makes it so hard to really look at these and have a definitive answer in any one direction, right? Because in a lot of ways, I find myself wanting to agree with you. And then I think of weird examples of times where I'm like, but somehow it works. Like Far Cry has a health bar, always has, and actually portrays itself fairly realistically within the confines of something that's still fun for a gameplay loop and that you have a health bar but then one of the things that was like woefully missing that I could not believe they took out of five uh, was healing yourself by removing what had hurt you. Right. Like it's weird that in a weird way, I felt that Far Cry 5 by that metric felt more dated than Far Cry 3, 2, or 4 because when I wrecked a vehicle and glass shattered everywhere, I didn't look down at my arm and see glass stuck all in my arm and had to pull it out and bandage it up. Right. And that is inherently going toward the idea of a health bar. And yet that feels, even today, that feels more modern to me. Having things that you need to think about, like health packs or something that you need to use to be able to patch yourself up. And then eventually, if you run out of those, you just got to dig into your arm and pull a bullet out and live with it. Because at least you don't have a bullet in your arm, or at least you don't have glass in your arm. You know, like those little weird ideas are like it used to do where like whenever you'd like on a four-wheeler or something, you'd wreck into a tree and you'd see like your, your hand would be messed up and you'd see your character like pull his thumb back out. It's like little things that take something that should date it and find a way to wrap it up and present it in a new way. Uh, that can make this these lines between these ideas invisible. Essentially, it's like if it's a you know it when you see it. It's like you see something and you can say this just feels dated, but then you see the same thing in a different game and somehow you're like, I don't know how to express it, but this game gets well, it. Remember, this game understands how to use the idea. Uh, remember though, at least for me, this is about this is a, this will be a game by game basis. So like these are things sure, that these are specifics that for me make a game automatically unenjoyable. So or at least unattractive, maybe. I mean, yeah, I mean, some of these things I'm sure would be like if you see this in in some kind of promo material, it kind of pulls you away from wanting to play it. Yeah, but see, that's the problem though. Is I think that unattractive doesn't always necessarily mean bad. It just may not be. That's a fair point for me. But see, like a lot of that's these little things point. that that eventually will add up for me to call it bad. Um, I'm having a hard time thinking of what a game I played recently I could consider bad. Um, you know, you're kind of hitting on something that I've been thinking this entire time when we were having this conversation, right? Because as I kind of mentioned, this partially came from, and Chris and I a lot of times are are hamming it up on purpose we're, we're going we're exaggerating for the sake of just being over the top with our arguments toward it yeah but like the reality of gaming and maybe this has always been the case to some degree but i think it's gotten better 
specifically, and maybe that's recency bias or who knows. But I feel like in comparison to like even late PS3, where you would have a lot of games that would come out and get big hype and you'd play them and you'd be like, what is this? Uh, like Two Worlds 2, we were talking about the other day. Um, you ha- I feel like it's been so long since I've put a game on, started it up, and thought, wow, this is just bad. It's not, not only is it not good, it's bad. And I don't know, you know, I try to think about it. Is it that there's so much less of that in the market and it's so much easier to suss out what is going to be bad that, like, is that it? Or is it just strictly that I buy based off of a more informed position typically now? Like, I look at a game's gameplay for a few minutes before I buy it at the very least. And you couldn't always do that, you know? I think when the internet was still a little more nascent, you had to take a chance on a game. Sometimes you just had to go and be like, Bethesda put out a game called wet. <laughs> and, and it's like a, you're a girl who has guns and it's like a, a wanted poster looking cover. And I'm just going to try it. You know, it's like that used to happen and you'd be like, oh, the game really wasn't that great, but eh. where I don't feel like that's really the case anymore. Like I feel like when people throw out the term like this game's bad now it's everyone just finding a very strong worded way to say i don't like the style of game that this game offers therefore i am making a a, i'm calling it bad so that i can try and make a show my dislike for its style so much that i'm going to imply the game is actually a poorly made game as a result yeah and that's I, i think that's the most common thing that people do like i think i mean everybody technically does that too They'll say like, "Oh, this game's bad." It's like, well, don't forget, like a seven or a six, even even a five does not necessarily mean a game is, that, is bad. A, a five means the game is like totally okay. Yeah, it's a five. <laughs> a five means it is it is mediocre, but that that has nothing to mean it's bad. There's been plenty of fives that I've liked. Um, there's been plenty of uh of like ones and twos that I've liked. It's it's it's. <laughs> now I'm curious. Can you think of a one or a two that in your mind that you like? There was a PS2 game, and I remember it was like a um, city shooter style game. And I can't think of what it was now. But on GameSpot, I used to like go and like look at reviews of everything back then. Um, that was back when I don't know if you can still do this, but like when user profiles could write reviews for GameSpot, like for their user score. Uh-huh. Um, I can't think of what it was, but I was so surprised that it had a two. It was like a racing game. You can get out of your car. And I thought it was a great Hole. game. And it was a racing game where you could get out of your car. Yeah. It was PS2. Strictly racing, though. I think so, yeah. Maybe it was that huh. you, there was crime and then there was racing in the game, too. Like a Grand Theft Auto clone, pretty much. Uh, Interesting. I wonder what it was now. But I remember I rented it. You remember the game series Mercenaries? Yeah, that game was good. Game series was good. Yeah, classic. I think that was Pandemic. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, that, that, that was kind of the, <laughs> that, that was kind of my finishing statement. Really, was that um, I think that like you said of like bad nowadays just means something you vehemently don't like. 
Which it's all subjective. I guess really what I'm what I want to suss out of this conversation more than anything is that I I mostly agree with you. I will occasionally say that a game I, I may I, I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if I occasionally say that a game is bad. I really try not to. I try to be more thoughtful with my words than that when I'm being serious. I tended to say that like I can see the merit of a game and why. I think most people like it at least close to the degree in which they like it um, while it's like firmly landing on the fact that I just don't find the game compelling, which I think are two different things. Kind of like you said, like what makes something bad? And I think for games, it's so hard because there's so many different layers. Like there's the gameplay aspect. Then there's the story aspect. Then there's the interactivity aspect where it's like, to what degree is it letting you, impact the world in a way that you can actually see and feel. And those are kind of all unique to gaming specifically to where when you watch a movie, you can look at, you can still be subjective, but you can look at a movie and say like, well, the story leaves a lot of loose plot threads and all this, but games have that other side, right? Kind of like we were talking about with infamous earlier, you have that moment of like second son can be essentially the perfect game while having one of the most nonsensical and ridiculous stories and endings and moral choices ever in gaming. But it doesn't make the game bad just because one part of the game doesn't hold up to the rest of the game. You know what I mean? Because like even infamous Second Son's laughable story and characters and everything are still honestly a lot better than the majority of early PS3 games and PS2 games. Yeah. So it's like the, the bar of quality continues to move so far that when we say bad, we're nine times out of 10 talking about a game that's significantly better than a lot of the stuff that we've played before. Now, there are outlier weird examples of games that just completely crap the bed when they come out. And maybe they're bad because, like you said, they just fail to work as a game. Cyberpunk. Is Cyberpunk a bad game? No, in terms of what's actually in the game. Is it a bad game because for many people it just outright doesn't work? Yes. Now, thankfully, that's changed. But as much as I love Cyberpunk, I never refuted with anybody that it was a bad game because if the game literally you can't play it, guess what? It's a bad game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that falls into <laughs> the objectivity of everything. Yeah, it, it's, it's bad at being what a game is supposed to be, which is something you can play. If you cannot play it, it is therefore bad at being a game. No Man's Sky at launch was bad. <laughs> but it was redeemed to be great. <laughs> yeah. And even see, and even there, you have all. It was bad in comparison to what it was promised to be. But I still played about thirty something hours, twenty something hours of it, enjoyed it. But it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, you know, it's it's just this bad. It's just this weird. It's it's become a sub, almost a subjective term, which technically yeah. it always which, has been. But it's this is more so sure. of like a um, a a personal bias based on only feelings in a weird way. Yeah, and I, I just I think that it's nice of us, and I, I this word has so much loaded stuff of it because of something else. But as gamers in a modern day gaming setting, we are very privileged to the sense that games are curated at a fairly 
decent level before they reach it. So that doesn't mean that there's not bad. Like as we talked about, there was bad curation on PS Store for a while with games like Laugh of Black Tiger and Greatest Puzzle 500, whatever. <laughs> you know, these ridiculous games uh, that are really low quality or asset flips. Like if we want to talk about what can be considered objectively bad, a game that's just a cash grab using flipped assets and nonsensical story and loose gameplay just so they can make a few bucks because people are going to buy it and try it. Yeah. And then they can just kind of vanish off into the world, do it if they want. That's an objectively bad game right? because it's, it's not even approaching the concept of what being a game is about very honestly to begin with. But for the most part, we know about that and can sniff that out so much easier because of modern day internet. So we're at a point where when we talk about those types of games, people aren't using the words bad. People are going far, far and away past that. So we're to the point where you have a scale, right? And people talk about it for years where as things continue to get better and better, it's like the scale continues to stretch. And suddenly the middle point is like one, two, three, four, and five are all down here. And then the middle point is suddenly like seven. And if a game is not a seven, it's not good. Yeah. Like you were talking about earlier. And then suddenly the rest of the scale is like a really stretch. Like, oh, it takes a while to get to eight. And it's even further to nine and then even further to ten. But one, two, three, four, five are all stacked on the left side pretty pretty easily. And seven's dead in the middle for some weird reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's um, always weird. It's like seeing somebody say, oh, that game's not that great. And it's like, bro, it's, like, it's right at like a seven. Like maybe it's not great. Yeah, it's... Subjectively to you, but... I, yeah, well, you know, the, the best way to say it is that the lovely thing about games is that when we're using the word bad the way that we tend to now, a game that is bad to me, even if we use it by the real the real measures, a game that is bad to me could be great for you. Right. And a game that is great for you could be bad to me. <laughs> I agree. And that's kind of the beauty, you know, like so if you were kind of joking about the fact that you've you've liked a two or three in your life. If I technically want to go off of a single score. I absolutely adore the Order 1886, and that's a game that got given a straight-up three from somebody. I can't remember who. <laughs> that's crazy to me. So, or a two, even. I can't. Some user gave it a zero, and I thought, that doesn't even make sense. The game boots up and plays, dude. How are you gonna, how's the game a zero? Yeah. <laughs> but, all right, man. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add to that conversation, or you kind of just want to leave it and uh, leave it to the community to fill in and give us their thoughts? I think, yeah, I think that's the best thing to do. I think because... It's such a weird answer that's based on so many different people. Like it's it's based off of so many yeah. different thoughts to me. Yeah. I think where I'll close my really final statement because I don't think I, I said much about my view. As much as I'll say that a game, if we want to use the word bad the way it is, a game for me personally, not necessarily that I would, you know, go and proclaim to others is bad, but a game to me that would be bad for me tends to be a game that no matter how well it's made, no matter how well it runs performance-wise, no matter what it be, I play it and I can't play it for more than 30 minutes or 45 minutes without just feeling disconnected and bored. And a good example, a good indicator for that for me normally is where does this is and every now and then it's caught me because sometimes it's hard to suss out the difference. But if I start falling asleep while playing a game, it's normally a good sign that the game is not doing enough to keep me I don't think that's ever happened to me. But I have been burned. I have been playing a game pretty early stages, falling asleep, thought to myself, I think that I may not really care for this game and might think it's bad because clearly I can't. It's not interesting me enough for me to stay awake. 
But some some days you just have those days where it's like your tiredness from the months and weeks before catch up to you, and you're just falling asleep because no matter you could you could be watching the greatest movie of all time, you could be doing anything, and you would just be falling asleep because you're dead dog tired, and you just don't realize it. But sometimes I fall asleep because I'm just sitting there playing a game, and it's like the loop or whatever it is is so monotonous, and it's not catching with my brain that I'll just find myself falling asleep. And the moment I switch to some other game, that goes away. Yeah. And it's hard. Is it the game? Is it the fact that I became aware of it and switched it? And my brain was like, well, you need to wake up. But that's typically my indicator to start looking at a game and being like, am I just tired or do I think this game is boring? Right. And to to be boring is probably the worst thing that any piece of entertainment can be. That doesn't mean it's bad or good. It just means that for that individual, it is boring. And that's something that can only really be evaluated at a personal level. So, uh, but I want to wrap it up there. If you want to share your thoughts on that question and let us know what you think makes a bad game, or if you just tend to view games as not being for you, head over to our Twitter and you can find us there at triangle S Q R D. You can find us on Facebook at our Facebook group, which is triangle squared, a PlayStation podcast on Facebook. You can ask to be entered in and we will gladly accept you. Uh, you can also find us in the discord, which is always linked in the description below. There is a community's take section that you can enter into and let us know your answers as well as a community's take discussion section. If you ever want to uh, discuss other people's answers with them in a separate thing so that it doesn't end up, blocking up what we can see at the community's take, as well as just your ability to go to the podcast, open discussion, talk about anything we talk about on these episodes and give your two cents to. We love all of you who do that. A lot of you come in and have been part of the Discord or are currently part of the Discord, and we appreciate it. Um, lastly, uh, everyone, make sure that you send good vibes and positive words out to Chris. Let him know that you're thinking of him and you're ready for him to come back to the show next week and let you know what he thinks about this. Uh, but lastly, you can always go to patreon.com slash Nartech and give as little as a dollar per month to help us with any of the costs to come into the show, which we are literally forever so thankful for. We don't have to pay to host the show or to get the gear that we need. Uh, and that is something that we are not ignorant to. So thank you for letting us do that and making this something that we can just find the time to do, sit down and do, and then bring to you. Um, but Saul, unless you want to wrap up with anything else, I think that that is a wrap yeah. for 259. I do. Thank you all for tuning in to 259. Brett already did the shout out to where you guys could find us. So uh, find us there. Answer the community's take, and we'll see y'all back for 260. All right, guys. We'll see y'all next week. And as always, a huge shout out to our patrons Lechion69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Ham and Egger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Jason Clendenning, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Joshua Lago, Kevin Bacon Bits, Luke Rabbit, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, Sean, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Santarude, Stephen Salazar, Shadowist, and my name is Dan. Thank you all.